I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. I'm Rick Kelly. And we love to watch. We love to watch the battle between the BDSM community and the hippies. You are the Christ. You're the great Jesus Christ. Prove to me that you're divine. Change my water into wine. That's all you need to. Then I'll know it's all true. Hey, Pete. Hey, Rick. Hey, Carrie. Hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> so many haze. I never have to do more than two haze. That's a lot of haze. Tops. A lot of Who's haze. Who's the max? Uh, but we, yeah, it's a supersized episode. You know how uh, when NBC was like, they, they tried to make, <laughs> market it as, as a big event, but actually they had canceled some shitty show that after two weeks, they started doing like supersized friends. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we are. We're supersized friends. Aw. That's adorable. <laughs> that's so uh, nice. This is funny. I, we've never done f- a, four, a four banger. Um, yeah, we have. That was not... Um, an intentional train wreck. An intentional Because <laughs> <laughs> where we love to watch, we're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of that month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And it's our last week of Musical May 4. Sure, here's some more. Where we talk about other musicals we want to talk about. Now, for most of the month, as you guys have heard, we have done sort of non-conventional musicals we did stop making sense with a wonderful guest uh who's here with us today uh which is obviously a a movie with a lot of a lot of music in it you wouldn't necessarily call it a musical we did that thing you do which is a musical with one song 20 times and then we did pop star which again very much a musical but uh in that it has a lot of music feature but it's not like a you know, I, let's say, I don't know, a Jesus Christ superstar, for example. Uh, but part of the reason we did Musical May for, not just to talk about those three movies that we love, but because through various chats, uh, myself and Peter and former guest and current guest Rick Kelly, and myself and Peter and former and current guest Carrie Nelson, were having a lot of chats somewhere around last summer around Jesus Christ Superstar, which is a movie that is uh, a, well, a movie and a musical and songs that are near and dear to me, and a concept that was baffling to Peter as he described <laughs> things about it to him. And these were like, it wasn't like on purpose. I mean, probably one influenced the other, but we were having these separate chats uh, uh, and kind of talking about how much uh, I think both Rick and Carrie expressed like we should do, you guys should do Jesus Christ Superstar. And Carrie and Rick are our two most frequent guests on the show. They're near and dear friends to both of us. And it just made a lot of sense to, it would be so much fun to do a Jesus Christ Superstar episode with, with both of them. And I can tell you, it's re- this is really hard to publish in audio form unless someone just were to read and act them out. But we have been talking about this movie nonstop for the last week via via Messenger, uh, and I'm very much looking forward to tonight. Uh, so uh, why don't let's do this? Um, uh, this is also kind of a, a soft reboot of Pod's Not Dead, a little bit. Uh, we like to cross over hosts. episodes with podcasts that don't exist. Yeah, well, I mean, canceled podcasts. We yeah, that's canceled. what that's what you do when a when it was a, a podcast is canceled before it's time. Yeah, the suits hated it. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh. Aaron and I had to put on suits to cancel it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife had to, you guys both come in wearing your suits. We're like, oh, man. 
<laughs> and then they're like, Rick's like, is that a cummerbund? And I'm like, yeah, my wedding suit doesn't fit that well. <laughs> Why is that tie so weird? Like, I, I had to do a YouTube tutorial. I've never actually learned how to tie a tie. I, I, tied, I tied one the first day of freshman year of high school, and then I just loosened it for four years. Yeah, I did that. I, Showered. I had people tie my work ties, and then I would just, like, slip them over my head. I still, to this day, cannot tie tie. But anyways, uh... Let's have Carrie and Rick introduce themselves. And then three, I think we need to do a pause not dead level set of just like before we get into the musical of like what the the the, the canon story of Jesus, what our exposure to it was and what our feelings were, because this musical assumes that, you know, all the shit. Uh and if you don't know all the shit, there's going to be a lot of perplexing information. So uh-huh. with that, without further ado. Hi, I'm Carrie. I live in New York. I do archival research. I am a big musical fan, even though I have very little musical ability myself. Um, and I'm very excited to be talking about this film t- this evening. And I am Rick. I have been a film writer, may one day be a film writer again, but I mostly show up on here to chat up you guys and uh like i'm a, I'm a musical fan i would say i grew up as a pretty big fan of les mis and more appropriately to this uh podcast to um joseph and the technicolor dreamcoat when i was a kid apparently oh, i sang all yeah. the songs we have a, we have a cassette tape of me at like five belting out those songs um so this is all in my wheelhouse but you know that's uh I hadn't watched this in a really long time, so I'm excited to get back into the movie aspect of this after rocking the record for years and years. The which record did you rock? The original Broadway cast. Okay, yeah, uh, we're going to get into that a little bit too. But where people's entry point to this is, like, I find uh, fascinating. Even when the answer, like for Peter, is uh, the entry point is uh, us making him watch it and pay attention. <laughs> uh, so let's let's start with uh, you know one of the things uh, we realized very quickly in doing this uh, is that uh, there's there's just so much of the Jesus story that's assumed and that's actually weirdly similar to one of the biggest hit Jesus movies of all time which is Passion of the Christ which is like we're not going to take any time to explain stuff we're just going to go meticulously through the the passion arc of the story of Jesus uh, and for violence reasons. And this movie essentially does the exact same thing, except there's just singing instead of, you know, screaming. Um, uh, sometimes Ted Neely kind of is on the middle of screaming. And singing, <laughs> oh, man. He's, he's, he's the bridge to, to that. But, uh, you know, we, we did talk about this years ago when we did our uh, Pod's Not Dead episode. But uh, I was raised uh, somewhat pre- pretty religious uh at the beginning and that like we went to church and always raised with like Catholicism drilled in. But um, as I got a little older, my parents uh, got super, super religious and uh, we studied up on the history of the church and, you know, they thought it was very important to defend against Protestants, the Catholic faith that we understood like the Bible really well and a lot of other stuff. So, you know, a lot of my like religious education, it was, you know, for a while, we were going to church every single day. We had to say rosaries all the time. Like it was, it was weird because we weren't be, because my uh, because my family had kind of started not all that religious or just like a go to church every Sunday type type Catholic. Like the the families that do that sort of stuff, and trust me, we met a few of those families tended to uh, also like 
would be like, oh, we only watch this one channel that shows weird puppet stuff that says never masturbate or something like that. Uh, but we like we we still went to school and we uh, for most of us and we, you know, still engaged with like society and pop culture and stuff like that. But we just got more and more like before junior high or high school or whatever it was. Sometimes it would be like you have to wake up at 645 and go to church or else you'd kind of be in trouble or you wouldn't get something that you wanted. So, uh as a result of that, as I had a lot of questions and doubt about the religion, one of the things that tends to happen, I think, to people that know the religion very well, uh, and I don't mean this is like a broad statement too much, is that like in order to you, you kind of have to get even deeper to kind of understand uh, the the historical accuracy or, or stuff like that. So I, I you know, my my journey from like I, I consider myself a non-believer or an atheist or whatever now. Um, but my journey to that was like a five year process of first wondering if, you know, maybe some of the stories I thought were literal weren't and then kind of a, a slow, slow climb through that uh, through the course of really trying to under, you know, from from the perspective of trying to understand my religion uh, more only to realize like oh, a lot of this is kind of not true and also I don't really like the way it's reflected by the people that practice it in many occasions so uh, my current state about whether uh, this is history or a story uh, still kind of comes from a lot of that that I, I kind of get the take that there's not really any sort of historical reference or contemporary historical reference of Jesus St. Paul 20 years later seems to be the first person in history that starts talking about him as like a, the proposed savior that uh, had been had been uh, uh, prophesized. Uh, but he even speaks to him about it's very unclear whether he came to Earth and then uh, that that kind of cult that sacked grew. And eventually you had people kind of writing these uh, potentially allegorical stories about the life of Jesus that doesn't technically reflect history. And that occurred like, a you know. 100 to 150 years after his death. So that's all I'll say about, at least from my perspective. But when we talk about this stuff, I really, it's, it feels like a retelling of a story as opposed to, I know a lot of people are like, when I first saw this was like, oh, this is a fun interpretation of a true history. And I do think the way that you react to this musical is going to be somewhat affected by whether you see this as a uh, as a Hamilton or a uh, I don't know uh, Joseph in the Technicolor Dream. Like, is it a is it a mu- musical rendition of history or a uh, fun telling of a kind of a myth? I guess, but we'll get there. Uh, I was raised Catholic. Went to Catholic school for um, most of my education, and uh, I grew very uh, apprehensive to the Catholic Church, uh, capital C, capital C, Catholic Church, um, it, it, it very early in that education. Um, and at, at a certain point, I had to like grow from a sort of a, a, pl- a place of just anti-establishment, um, sort of a youthful rebellion to getting to a place where I was like, okay, but actually I, I also don't believe in God. Right. Um, and, but the interesting thing is, uh, I ended up with a lot of these stories hammered into me. Um, the dog, the dogma, um, was hammered into me as a sort of, uh, a, a rule set that I was largely ignoring. Um, and, and the thing about growing up Catholic is like, uh, there's a, there's a joke that what's the best way to make someone an atheist and it's raise them Catholic um is that there's there's such a heavy hand in all aspects of social and and uh and um social and cultural history that gets put on you when you send someone to catholic school that like once that 
tower starts you, you start to see some cracks in the foundation of that tower it's very easy to find other cracks and put a little pressure on the tower and all of a sudden the tower crumbles um be, because they ins- they insisted on putting such a, a rigorous dogma on me right like um because it felt like they were they were so so heavily stressing this catholic dogma uh, it, it felt like um <laughs> it felt like I was like, well, there has to be a reason they're they're so aggressive about all this. Uh, and so uh, I all this stuff was hammered into me time and time again, and I rejected it. And then I rejected it as a religious concept. Uh, and then I came back around to like the idea of like uh, respecting all religions, which is like I feel like part of your um, part of your your uh, like the good atheist education is like you begin rejecting everything and you're a bit of a jerk for a while um you talk a lot about people's invisible friends um and then you eventually come back around to being like okay these if you're a humanist in any way especially if you claim to be a secular humanist you eventually need to come back and be like um yes i I reject the dogma the structure that you know the emperor has no clothes but like for these for certain people, this structure does make sense. Like this, this is something that like gives their life meaning and purpose and, and gives them a guiding hand. That's like, you know, part of like the moral journey. And so it's very interesting coming to this now, because I think my reaction it, at 30 years old would have been extremely different at 20 years old. Um, but watching this where like, I definitely saw this in grade school, saw this in Godspell. Um, definitely saw Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell in grade school. Thought it was corny bullshit. I still think it's corny bullshit, but it's like entertaining corny bullshit. And we'll get into that. Uh, And I had like a lot of fun with it uh, as someone who's definitely post-Catholic. And a lot of this shit is still rattling inside me. I'm still unpacking weird guilt and and, uh, uh, associations that have been made um, from growing up Catholic. Like I'm still like trying to, uh, to borrow a phrase, I'm trying to exercise some of my Catholic demons. Um... And uh, yeah, that's kind of, it was a bit of a, of a rant, but I mean, how does anyone sum up their religious faith in, you know, a couple minutes? Um, <laughs> that's yeah. true. Yeah, it takes at least four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> four, four minute minimum. I, I do think there, you know, something that you kind of alluded to that I do think is important here, and we actually got into a little bit in our pre-show chat, was that, uh, you know, when pe- I, I think I, I'm someone who has said and kind of still believes that like... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good lessons that you can learn from Jesus, whether he was existed or not, right? Like like a lot of good stories, there's a lot of good lessons. And I, one clarifying point to that is that it really it really kind of depends what gospel you read, whether that's true. Uh, the the most uh, biblical stories really come, uh, Jesus stories come from, including Jesus Christ Superstar, come from like the Mark and Luke type gospel, very kind uh, socially conscious, like, you know, basically socialist, uh, anti-capitalist Jesus. And then like the the, goth, the the Jesus from the Gospel of John is like, well, you're all going to burn quite a lot. And basically there's a lot of bad people. And so like, I, I, I you know, that's kind of a lot of his focus. And so, you know, uh, something that I think happens a lot is depending on where you're one thing that I had to learn as I grew up too, and I, Peter alluded to this is like, uh, you know, it's just like with a lot of things as expansive as like the Bible, um, you know, if you're someone who identifies as a, as a humanist or uh, whatever else, or uh, you probably, when you say like, uh, Jesus is just all right with me, you're referring <laughs> mainly to all the great stuff he said and kind of ignoring the other stuff where some people that, uh, you know, can cl- sometimes people go, how can you claim to follow Jesus? It's like, well, 
uh, you're they're they're talking about the 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 verses that they've gravitated towards are the ones about like stepping on the heads of serpents who have wronged wronged them, right? Like it's a you can find what you are drawn to. In- uh, Rick, do you want to go next? Just I, I guess we'll, we'll wrap up the Catholic shit. Oh, round, oh yeah, wrap wrap up the Catholic. The God's not dead. Like the 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 Trinity of the, ca- <laughs> the Pod's not dead veteran Trinity. Yeah. Um. So yeah, as I explained uh, about myself on on that same show, uh, I was also raised Catholic, and I didn't go to Catholic school um, like Pete, and I certainly didn't have that kind of like immersive uh, aspect that you're describing, Aaron. But we went to church every Sunday, and I was an altar boy, so I was there more than that, and for holidays, and, uh, you know, it was like, it was a pretty um, significant part of our lives, but not a dominating one. I really think in the all the, the pre-show chat where you guys were going into, like, the your Jesus history... I think a lot of those conversations on the show, I'm going to have to step back because I don't have that like Catholic school uh, historicism or like textual thing. It was more like for us, it was uh, it was like part of an identity, but it was something we did. You know, it's like a um, like an activity uh, that was relevant and important, but um, not uh, as all pervasive in our lives as all that. So. But it was there, and um, it was you know when I was a kid, I uh, I think I liked being in church as like a seven eight year old, and I felt like there was kind of like a like you were in on something when you were an altar boy, like you got to go behind the yeah. scenes and stuff, and like you knew I knew all the ritual aspects, and I was very familiar. I was very um, when you're a kid, you're like when you're conversant with stuff, you're kind of proud of that stuff. So yeah, you liked to you didn't like to be the person who held the bowl. You like to be the pour the water. <laughs> totally, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you're on you're, you're kind of on stage, right? So you know, yeah. um, that was a big part of it for me. When I was a little bit older into my teen years, I really uh, rejected that wholesale um, the the theological aspect simply because. Um, of sort of teenage rebellion and getting into, I don't know, punk rock and whatever. As my teenage years went on, I didn't want to be, uh, you know, in church. And it seemed like irrelevant to my life and very much just something that was being foisted on me. Um, and then years later, I think I kind of came back to it from a different standpoint in college studying philosophy. Because um, if you study Western philosophy, you have occasion to read all kinds of medieval texts and, and things like that that deal with questions of faith very specifically. And so that kind of felt like a return in some ways. So I've kind of gone this like seesawing path with uh, with my relationship to all of it. I don't know exactly. I'm I'm certainly not a uh, a Catholic anymore, um, but I am in a more nebulous uh, relationship with uh, religion in general. I would say, and uh, yeah, that's that's where I've come from. Especially, I think when you have, I also have a young daughter, and like you start looking at things a little different in terms of like participation in. Um, wider social and cultural things like uh like religion i guess and like um like ritual and so on and so forth so these things are sort of front and center in my life in a really different way than i ever would have anticipated 10 years ago yeah i think there's definitely an angle there where like once you have a child like all of a sudden you're like it's not just about uh, what i can ignore and can't ignore it's like well what what will i be passing on right exactly yeah yeah, and then the flip side too is that sometimes you send your kid to a Lutheran 
preschool because you feel like that's going to be very chill and that's where they learn the concept of death from oh no <laughs> over 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 easter <laughs> and, oh no and, and that they also learned with that that you come back so uh, yeah. i'll just sit them down and show them jesus christ superstar yeah. See, he didn't come back. He stayed there. But it did seem kind of fun for some of it, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, Carrie, what's your history? What you got? Uh, I am Jewish. I was raised in a conservative Jewish household. Um, conservative referring to the movement rather than the political affiliation, though there, there, was, there was some of that as well. Um and I also went to a Jewish day school from uh, basically until I went to high school. Um, and between my uh, family life and my school and the people we spent time with, I didn't really have any direct exposure to Christian folks until I was a teenager. Um, Lucky you. <laughs> I mean, it's like odd to look back on now because yeah. it, it it didn't feel like a particularly sheltered upbringing, but there was definitely a lot that I wasn't exposed to. However, when I was about 10 years old, we took a family trip to Israel and, th- and you're like, this is the sky. I finally get to see the sky. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> when I was about 10 years old, we went to Israel. And that was actually where I first started to learn about Jesus. Because on the tour that we took, um, when we were in the old city of Jerusalem, there were some Christian folks on the tour. So we did walk the Stations of the Cross. We went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And... None of this was anything that I had any familiarity with, so I learned basically all of it at that point. Um, We read one of the Gospels, I think it was Matthew, but I'm not sure, um, in 11th grade English class, and that was kind of the extent um, other than what I picked up from cultural osmosis, which is a fair bit, but it's not... It's not in any great detail, and from what what I realized while watching the film is that there are major gaps in cultural osmosis. <laughs> there are lots of big details, and then there are all kinds of other things where it's like, oh, they ne- we didn't get into these specifics. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> but I I probably went through a I don't know that I ever went through a staunchly atheist phase, but I definitely went through um, much more of a uh not interested in any of this phase um growing up and then um my i got together with my husband when we were in college um he's uh presbyterian and we had similar enough views on spirituality even though we were coming from different places that it i think made both of us a lot inter- a lot more interested in exploring our own backgrounds and where we wanted to go of that. So at this point, I would say I am agnostic, but also fairly religious. Um, I belong mm-hmm. to an LGBT synagogue, um, and we are talking about the ways in which we would want to have an interfaith family um, if and when we have kids. And all of that is making me 
has made me more interested in learning about Christianity. I have a lot of excitement and interest in interfaith dialogue in general. Um, and often it seems to be something that's pretty challenging to pull off well. So I've been really interested to, to learn about the communities that are really prioritizing that. Um, and I'm very lucky to be part of a synagogue community that prioritizes it a lot. Um, we have a lot of close connections with Christian and Muslim communities in the city, um, which feels, uh, th that makes me feel, uh, very comfortable being part of that kind of space. Um, so it's, it's something that I, I am curious to learn more about and also feel a bit daunted with all of the baggage that comes with it and with the awareness, as we will get into later, that a lot of Christian theology has, is written in ways that are fairly anti-Semitic um, and trying to figure out how I can approach it in a way I actually just found recently there is a um, translation of the New Testament that's annotated from a Jewish context and I think that might be my starting point um, so that's something to look into a little bit more um, I wish I had that yeah, it sounds pretty interesting. It's it's kind of like what it, contextualizing it within what this all meant at the time with how Judaism was operating at that moment in time. Which is crazy because they'll do that for they'll do that for like I have a big like I'm not sure what the term is, but I call it like a lap filling um HP Lovecraft uh like massive like 13 inch tall tome and they'll have like annotated side cop like notes about the context that this particular comment was made like when he was writing this but like growing up we were just given the new testament uh quote unquote raw obviously filtered through different interpreters different translations uh different languages all coming to modern english but like we were just well, and, given and the typically new though like, like very specific sections too like that's the you end up like until you. I don't know if you you went to Catholic uh, college and high school, right? So you may have I, maybe you got into a little more. But I I remember once I actually started reading it more in junior high and stuff like that. I feel like there was tons of stories that never came up in any like yeah mass or like like so many. That was that was yeah. my my experience as well. Yeah, yeah. You hear if you go to mass, you hear the, the when you hear the gospel, you're hearing the same whatever 50 stories pretty yeah 50 52 year. rotations of stories yeah. basically yeah uh, <laughs> but but uh but uh we, we i i think that would have been actually far more helpful to my education and given me a more well-rounded view of catholicism and a more balanced view of catholicism and would have uh, i think uh, um headed off some of my like rebellious phase if we had had what you're talking about carrie which is like <laughs> annotated with cultural context which is as somebody who went to I, I went to catholic school and like i didn't get that shit till college and yeah. I, ironically enough the class that i took was taught by a nun like this yeah. a nun gave me more cultural context than like any other uh theology teacher had previous like well yeah one of the most time 
What an enormous waste of time. <laughs> I know. One of the most interesting things that I read that really kind of opened my understanding of, like, even the stories that I'd grown up with and, like, the, the quote-unquote canon of the Bible, you know, is uh, is I read uh, – I bought this book that was called uh, – I forget what it was called exactly. But essentially, it was, it was like, the unedited um, uh, New Testament. And it was essentially – basically saying hey like all these stories have been changed to fit with a modern reader right like we've heard a lot about that like we take this word and we change it into this word and stuff like that let alone the the like that's taking aside the crazy like editing process that occurred when this was copied by hand and people added shit that probably wasn't in the original text for 1500 years and like you know even even the stuff that the church calls canon like the copies vary by, uh, you know, the sections that they have, have like the one from 300 AD looks different than the 600 AD one. There's a new story added, for example, like the, the, uh, the one the, that, uh, you know, like who should cast the first stone wasn't probably in the original loop because it doesn't show up until like seven, uh, copies that were like literally found 700 years after and they found earlier ones and it's not there. So like, but we still, you know, if you're a Catholic, they still talk about that story as something that actually happened, even though it's only in one gospel and seems to be made up 700 years after the fact, regardless of all that, you do just end up, I, so the book that I, I bought was like this attempt to literalize translation, which is always difficult, but like say like, Hey, this is instead of you know the new modern English text or for you know all these things that we've taken making it to make it more understandable or used words that modern readers are more familiar with over the last couple hundred years. It's tr- trying to translate with the closest possible you know English meaning, and I, I found that extremely fascinating at how much the the stories and the words and the things ultimately changed. Mm-hmm. That's really well, interesting. Yeah, I feel like when I, you know, I alluded to studying things in college um, about uh, medieval philosophy, and I think one of the entry points that made it so interesting to me was it was like this repudiation of my childhood, just like it was like a one-way shoot of of doctrine that I was just given. And that was specifically not interesting after a certain point because you're just being told what it is. Once you start investigating it and you have all like this, these aspects of historical and cultural richness, it actually becomes very fascinating because you're examining texts and you're examining um, lines of thinking about subjects that have fascinated people for thousands of years. And that actually is interesting. So it's like this great disservice. I feel like they did. They did us all dirty when we were kids. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why they um, – and Carrie, some of this is definitely probably relatable to you and you can like definitely let me know if I'm wrong. But um, that getting kids early with this stuff and getting them a purified, uh, easy to follow canonical version of the story and, and buffing out a lot of the, the strange details like – that does have an effect on your brain. And then the moment you start finding that there's inconsistencies and stuff, you're not saying this is exciting that the story gets bigger and that the story was filtered through um, people. Like even if you you believe it was divinely inspired or divinely guided the way Catholic dogma says, um, story was filtered through people and their perspectives. And that's why the Bible is weird. Like compare the Bible to any piece of literature is very weird to all of a sudden be like, all right, 
<laughs> Old Testament. Here's all these. Here's all these stories. Of these old guys. First, we're going to tell you who's everyone's grandpa and great grandpa was. <laughs> Anyways, um, then in the you get to the New Testament. And they're like, oh, we're going to tell the same story, but here's a bunch of guys' perspective, and the, their perspectives don't necessarily align. But like, you hear that at 13 after hearing this story for so long, all of a sudden you like your brain melts down. You're like, why are there all these rough edges? And you're ignoring all the rough edges. You're just pretending like they're not there. Whereas like, if you embraced it with like an, even like an annotated copy of the Bible or like actual, like critical, critical view of, of the, of the scripture, you could, you could get that. But the issue is that, um, I don't think, um, uh, uh, suburban parents and such want to pay, uh, to send their kids to Catholic school where they're going to be taught, um, about all the bullshit that, um, <laughs> it's like, well, this is just weird. Cause frankly, it was translated between three different languages. And then, a you know, a, a, a Vatican council decided to cut these pieces out. And so it reads a little funny. I know that's why the story is weird. I don't know. Carrie, you have a completely different perspective, but like, is there anything there for you too? Like, did you get a simplified version? And then later you were like, Hey, what the fuck? So, so the two things I've noticed is, um, I mean, yes, basically. Um, but the but one of the things I've noticed, uh, as I've been older is how much was how much was left out that I wish I had known sooner. In that, yeah. it, in that, it makes me more interested. Like I, I've been taking um, a class in the last few months about the Jewish calendar which is pretty fascinating how it operates and it, it the the class goes into um the different cycles of the year and the different holidays but also like what what we're moving through at all of these different junctures and how it relates to uh history and the bible and everything like that um and there are so many things i'm learning in that class that I never knew before that we never talked about when I was in school. And it's just making me wonder, like, why religious education for kids always has to focus on the most boring rote elements, because there's definitely a way to make it more interesting and it might actually keep people more engaged. But the other thing about um, my experience going to Jewish school is that around the time that we were in seventh and eighth grade, we started having Talmud class, which is basically, you know, that's the Talmud is um, Jewish law. And it's basically a class that teaches you how to scrutinize and argue and ask questions. And I feel like they keep that uh, closer to graduation, in part because like you're older and you kind of need uh, more advanced brains for that, but also like they don't want you having that ability the whole time to be able to scrutinize <laughs> everything. <laughs> so you that everyone, you just can't give everyone super brains on day one. <laughs> um, but I really, but that's the thing I always really valued. Like when I, I know a lot of people who had really negative experience with religious education. I definitely did in certain respects, but I can't say it was all bad because the experience of like learning Talmud when I was like 13, 14 years old was actually incredibly beneficial. Um, there's a lot of like really interesting dialogue happening there. It's forcing you to think critically. 
It's forcing you to ask questions and not take something at face value. And that's something that I really appreciate about Jewish tradition. And it's something that I appreciate about the school that I went to. Um, and I, I did go when I was in college, I'd spent a month in Israel um, at a Jewish studies program that was very Talmud focused. And that that type of education I would love to explore more of uh, down the road, but I've always found that to be a lot more interesting than just straight up Torah Bible education. Yeah, and I think that's what's I think that's what's what's crucial to um, you hit on. I think what's crucial to like my my issue with Catholic schooling um, and the way I was raised was like. Um, essentially when you're in school you're not necessarily learning what you're learning right um so when you're in calc class they don't necessarily think you're going to use calculus skills in um your everyday job necessarily um and they also know that if you work in like a complicated finance job that all that shit is done by like macros anyway so like they don't trust humans to crunch those numbers on a piece of paper um the, 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 when you're learning about when you're learning about math, uh, you're really learning about problem solving. When you're learning about history, you're learning how to condense stories. Uh, you're learning how to uh, think interpretively about different different figures and how those different figures interacted. But when I was in religious religion class, like coming back to dogma, I was expected to. Um, it was that was why it was so boring. It was expected to like learn and regurgitate, learn and regurgitate, learn and regurgitate. Whereas like for that that Talmudic class that you were referring to, like even if you were like, fuck my cultural heritage, I'm done with this. <laughs> you weren't just learning the Talmud, you were learning uh, basic debate skills, basic critical thinking skills, basic logic skills while you were getting it done. Um, and that's why I found my my like religious upbringing so frustrating. So I remember sitting there, I was like, I know 99% of this shit anyways. And like, you're not I'm not feeling engaged because you're not teaching me anything that like I'm not just going to end up reading the night before the test, throwing up and then forgetting. I I have to think that there's a better way to do it, that the way that religious education for children tends to happen is not the only way. It seems like the problems that so many people have experienced in these settings, like, it, it can't just be the the only way that the system can operate. And I I honestly do believe that if you if you are educating children in a more dynamic way and if you are focusing on aspects of the religion that might actually apply to the rest of their lives in a meaningful way it, it may actually make religion as a concept more accessible later on even if you get to a point where you're like well i don't believe any of this in a literal sense but you know there's enough here that i'm not just going to give up on the whole thing yeah absolutely yeah so while we're kind of talking about like uh how we got there it's just very fascinating that like <laughs> andrew lloyd weber de determined that he as someone who's not really a believer so to speak um he needed to make this this play um he needed to make this this musical and it started out as like a concept album before it was ever staged as a musical which is fascinating to me and the concept album sounds like a musical concept album it sounds like a 70s 
concept out when you listen to it it doesn't the production doesn't sound anything like the the norman jewison directed film it doesn't sound like later broadway uh later broadway albums and i should say like all four of us listened to a few different versions of the broadway or at least popped in on a few different versions of the broadway production to get a sense of like what choices were made here um and yeah i was like this song's fine in the movie and then i would listen to the the original concept album version and i'd be like this song's not fine (laughs) How dare you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you made this really boring. Why'd you do that? Yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, my experience rewatching the movie, um, I wanted things to sound like the version that I was used to almost the entirety, entire way through. I was like, well, this is wrong. This is clearly not how it goes. You know? <laughs> Uh, it is, it is very, it is, that is a very strange experience when you're like, or like you're at a live concert and the guy starts riffing and you're like, my smart brain knows this is cool. Play it, play it like it's, it is brain. on the album. Play the album version. <laughs> exactly. My, 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 uh, my. It's not even my dumb brain. It's 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 a human need for pattern recognition, right? Where you're like, the 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 pat the pattern I find very pleasing. The pattern taps into like a, a, a like a almost DDR sequence in my brain for hitting endorphins at a specific pace, and you're not hitting them that same way. I'm like learning on the go. It's just a different experience. Do you know much about the origins of uh, why Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, decided he wanted to compose this particular piece? He I I don't know. <laughs> Goddamn! Uh, I actually don't know. I mean, the, the, you know, I I know a lot of the process of him trying to get funding for it. I actually didn't read anything about like why he was like I gotta tell the story of Jesus from a musical perspective, especially because Andrew Lloyd Webber and Norman Jewison are both on record as saying like, yeah, they don't think too much of the divinity of Jesus. They they think of him as. Uh, Weber specifically thinks of him as like a historical patsy, essentially someone who uh, a, a lot of people put their hopes and dreams on and tell stories about. But he was just kind of a guy who was trying to live his life and, uh, you know, maybe maybe preach a little and, and say what he believed. But it's like a, a historical accident or a historical comedy that led to, you know, him being uh, the instigator of, uh, you know, one of the world's biggest religions. And uh, and that's kind of what he portrayed here. So I don't know if just like that perspective of Jesus in specifics that he had had uh, caused him to to want to kind of tell that version of the story. Or maybe he just had some like kick ass ideas of songs in, in mind that he wanted to write. The thing that is super interesting about this that I actually learned for the first time, I didn't, I didn't know this, that uh, he couldn't get funding for this as a Broadway show. Yeah, I well, so I did not know until right. I've listened to this for most of my life. I saw. I don't know if we talked about how our first experience with it. Um, even though I was here the whole time, I just wasn't listening. In case you're just tuning in right now, uh, no, I, uh, I, I saw. So if if you look on Wikipedia, they mention a 1992 Broadway revival tour starring uh, Ted Neely, right? Uh, I saw that. I saw that perform. That was my I, probably my first like true non Disney musical. At first, when I went to when my parents took me to go see it because they loved it as they uh, in the seventies because they used to be cooler people. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, I was excited to see uh, like a play in a musical, and I was super bummed almost immediately that the whole thing was singing because I was like excited for to see a big production and a play. That went away pretty quickly because the songs were so good, and then my parents had the cassette, so I would listen to it over and over. 
And uh, and then in my weirdly, so I always listen to the album. I didn't see this movie for the first time until I was twenty twenty two, and like had a hankering for some Jesus Christ Superstar, and I didn't have my parents' cassette, and Spotify wasn't a thing. So I went and saw this movie for sale for like five bucks on DVD, and I bought it, and then I just started watching it all the time because I liked the music. Like, I mean, I was you know. That was also around the range. I was like trying shrooms and some other stuff and smoking a lot of pot. But I was like, this is like the perfect thing to just put on. So I probably watched it like 30 times in the course of like two years. Um, so my my nostalgia for the movie doesn't start. I didn't see the movie till I was in my 20s. Um, and so this was the first time I actually learned as I was doing research for this that like they couldn't get funding. And so that album that I had that's kind of like billed as original cast album is not necessarily the Broadway original cast album. They recorded as a concept album, a rock opera, which was the style at the time. And, uh, and it was a huge hit. It had, uh, especially like, I don't know how to love him actually like charted pretty high. And, you know, within a year they got funding to actually do the Broadway show with some cast changes. Um, uh, the lead singer of deep purple, Ian Gillen, yes. So, so, but I, I, I thought that was based on the Broadway show, which I had seen a like original cast revival. Now, when they went to go do the Broadway show, Ian Gillen was like, "I'm good being in Deep Purple." He specifically said that I think if I'm going to devote that much effort to something, my fans would rather see me tour with Deep Purple than to be as part of the Broadway show. So they cast Ted Neely uh, instead, who. Uh, <laughs> Is we'll talk more about him when we get into the movie. <laughs> we have feelings uh, about him. Oh my god, I, I yeah, didn't know I had so many Neely. I didn't know I had so many Neely feelings. Um, Neely feelings. Because, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Neely feelings. Um, he, but you know, one thing I realized in like going back to the cast album for this, and and when I went, you know, when I went and bought the album on iTunes. Now, like 15 years ago or 13 years ago, whenever it was, I, I, I didn't buy I, – I would. it was this weird thing where when I wanted to watch it or like hear it with a video component, even into my late 20s, I'd throw on this movie. Uh, but I bought the, the original album and I, I, I kind of vastly prefer most of the, the music uh, to that with the – with the uh, exception of the all the, all the Judas songs yeah. I think are relatively equivalently strong between – between the two but my take is kind of like the songs themselves are so good that even the lesser versions in the movie i still enjoy for the most part quite a bit with a couple of exceptions that i think are uh, just huge step downs like musically anyways but yeah i one thing i wanted to talk about very quickly before we go into the movie and i think refers back to our earlier conversation about faith and stuff like this so then you know you're talking about this this the album comes out in 71 the broadway show comes out in 72 this movie comes out in 73 right after norman jewison had done fiddler on the roof and was interested in doing another musical and he saw the broadway show and was like fuck yeah let's do this this is great um and i think what's interesting is that every part of this production was met with extreme controversy uh, and boycotts and everything else. And what I, why I think that background stuff is so important, not just that we talk about like the way that we refer to the, the story being presented, because even though it's a pretty thin story being presented, it's a, it's a story and what you're bringing to it with, you know, your experience with, you know, essentially if you were raised or are familiar with, you know, Christianity, this is the, this is the thing. This is what's 
started your religion, uh, I think that does influence our perspective beyond just how good the songs are. Uh, but it's worth noting that the the movie was just just constantly met with with uh, fight back and the from a Christian perspective, and this goes all the way to the John Legend version from 2018 when they did that like NBC Live version. It's the controversies are um, you know the the big thing is worth noting is that they they really emphasize the humanity of Jesus throughout. And uh, even though if you were raised Christian or Catholic, the whole point of Jesus is that he was he was. Uh, 100% human and 100% God, and that's quote-unquote the mystery of the divinity of Jesus. He wasn't 50% God, 50% human. He was, you know, 100% those things. And so, I think right, a lot of like... calculator out. I can't... I can't. <laughs> look, I mean, he, he, here's the thing about some of the quote-unquote mysteries of religion. They go like, you know, 5 plus 5 equals 2. And they're like, well, no, it doesn't. You're like, well, no, it does, though. That's the mystery. Mm. That's, when, when I introduce things that can't possibly happen, and then I explain that that actually happened, that's where the mystery Well, is. you don't explain the mystery of faith. You proclaim the mystery you of just, faith. You just say it's true. It's 100% true, uh, factually, scientifically. But then when someone asks you to check your math, you're like, no, can't do that. That's against the rules. Um but, we talked about. We also talked about in a previous uh, Pods Not Dead episode how um, uh, religious people have one awesome argument, uh, which is uh, explain a computer to an ant. Like we yeah. can't possibly understand, which is also great because it leads right into Lovecraft shit. But anyways, um, <laughs> but uh, trying to explain a computer to a to an ant, and like yeah, like yeah, that's a fun thing to chew on fun thing to chew on and then they just take it one step too far immediately after and like so that's why you have to wear the special underwear <laughs> no, yes. I don't think that's so. why everything we said is a hundred percent true i have read some of those like uh scientific proof of god in the first chapter is like so yeah where did this come from if not god anyways so it's our god that's gonna be what the rest of the book is about about how it's our god for sure you should do it um but uh, but yeah, so the controversies are, are the humanity of Jesus, especially as it relates to um, uh, that he may have like liked Mary Magdalene, which is a big part of the Bible, I think, that to this day, fundamentalist Christians have not really figured out a way to reckon with well, where it's like he hung out with a lady of the evening, a prostitute, as they said in the Bible. And he never was like, hey, stop being this, and this is a sin, and you're bad, and hopefully around me. He treated her with respect and equality and as part of his like core core circle without ever a moment of judgment. As a matter of fact, when people tried to judge a different person in that story that was kind of made up 700 years later that I mentioned about throwing the first stone, he told them that they were – you know, that it was uh, – you know, you weren't allowed to do that. So, uh, you know. Uh, you weren't allowed to judge people, which is a big part about Christianity, surprisingly, if you read the papers or see the news. Uh, also, big thing about hippies. So big, big thing about hippies. That's where that kind of those things, those things do align. Those things do align really well. So, uh, yeah, you, you kind of have this thing where uh, they 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 didn't like that. They didn't like that, like Mary Magdalene was shown as someone who there there may have been unresolved or un, uh, unrequited feelings for between the two of them and something like that. Which, um, you know, they're they're really on Judas' side when he's like, "What are you doing with this woman? Like, you should be hanging out with better people." And and it, it is weird that like that's a moment in at least in the musical that I think a lot of Christians that were protesting this movie and showing a horny Jesus or a potential for a horny Jesus. Uh, even though Ted Neely is, is very sexless as, a, as an individual. Um, 
looks <laughs> smooth like a like a dolphin. I, yeah, I, I think <laughs> the they actually, I actually think they <laughs> well cast. Uh, and then, but one of, and then the other big uh, problem was that there was no resurrection. Right? They they were Christians were extremely upset about the idea. No that erection, showed, no resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, too many erections, not enough resurrection. And and they thought that that was. And then. Um, you know, the interviews that I mentioned with Jewish and, and Andrew Lloyd Webber of like historical patsy and they didn't believe in the divinity was th- – those were published around the time of this movie coming out, right? So that was also a thing for whatever like the, the 70s version of Focus on the Family. and It was also cent- centering uh, Judas in the story too. The thing about them, yeah. Judas uh, agreeing with Judas in that scene just like underscores the fact that he's kind of uh, pushing Jesus out of his own story. Yeah, essentially every story about Christ, every adaptation of the the Passion, or or every story about um yeah about the Passion, they don't typically make movies just about um Christ's birth. Um, is is that uh they they tend to be controversial um because they tend to because stories need drama, and what do you need to have good drama? Characters, and Jesus is not really a character if he's a perfect foibleless. Uh, inhuman kind of kind of just a handsome guy who's willing to do anything for you it's just not yeah it's not interesting as as a piece of, of narrative fiction right like it, it it works as a religious structure but like when you're making a movie you're writing a you're writing a book like it just doesn't it doesn't quite uh, qu- quite click and that's one of the reasons that this movie and uh you know scorsese's movie both got a lot of uh, a lot of flack yeah, but yeah. like they are actually very interesting like fascinating movies about faith whereas like yeah. almost every movie i've seen about christ that doesn't embrace his his humani- his, his human side um yeah. is just dramaless and dull and it, it has absolutely no value over just reading a wikipedia page of the events and for someone like me who is not coming from having like any religious background in this um a story that is actually humanizing is the best way to actually make it accessible the stories of the old testament are all about men and women who are deeply damaged and make fucked up mistakes and then they try to come back to god like that's interesting stuff yeah right yeah. i mean there's a reason why the ten commandments rules as a movie right like yeah. that story is awesome i think the yeah, prince there's... of egypt rules like there's yeah. a lot of interesting yeah. there's a lot of interesting stories there um and like Last Temptation is a movie that I've loved for years because even though I know that it's extremely controversial, but it's a movie that makes the subject matter and the characters approachable from a, a, a more distanced perspective. But even that, like the, I always thought even being so, I saw you know Last Temptation of, of Christ in high school when I was when I was still uh, Catholic and Belize and all that stuff, and I I really was like, this doesn't make like the there's so much of the Bible of attempts to tempt Jesus away from fulfilling his destiny or something like that. Like that's a big part of it. Like he and there's even there's even a story of him being tempted and stuff like that. So. It's it's a little bit reinterpreted in like that it happens on the cross as opposed to earlier in the story and stuff like that. But like, you know, Scorsese was really getting at something that already existed pretty explicitly yeah. in the Bible. And and I think that the reaction to a lot of groups that were like, oh, no, 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 we can't show any of that stuff, even though it's in the 
the same text that they profess to like see as like true and historical and fully canon, I think is is very telling. And then you also had like so most of the protests were centered around some some version of, of Catholics and then Christians, but like one of the most interesting things is that Pope Paul uh, Pope Paul VI saw it and he loved it. Um, he said, and this is the funniest quote in the world. Uh, uh, he told he pulled uh, uh, the director, Mr. Jewison. Not only do I appreciate your beautiful ro- rock opera film, which is a pope way to say <laughs> what, what, a, what a pope rock opera film. <laughs> I believe it will bring more people around the world to Christianity than anything has ever before. Like this guy, this dude liked the movie quite a bit. He was like this, I guess more than all of the missionary work, everything the Catholic church has done. He's like this rock opera movie. This is it. Like I can retire as Pope. Um, you so it actually is, makes sense with timing because yeah. like yeah. the, 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 um, the, uh, second Vatican council, Vatican two concluded in like 65. Yeah. yeah. And like this is this came out a few years after that, and like this feels deeply like a movie that like post Vatican II, um, you know, uh, youth ministers could get behind because it was it was bringing rock music to the kids. It was there were a lot of chairs that were turned the wrong way. You're sitting in the chair, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. Like the idea, like I, yes, like what you just said, Aaron, is very surprising. But like it's also not surprising in the sense that it was like True. this is in an era when the Catholic Church was trying was to super liberal. And then, and then Pope John Paul II was next. The, the Catholic Church is like an institute from like a political. Just took such a huge step back with both uh, Pope Benedict and in corresponding with the time of like the the re re rise of the uh, American Christian right and like the Bush's America and stuff like that. But that's a topic. Top and now like that they have a liberal pope again. A lot of Catholics think he's actually like a demon. <laughs> like this is actually the first really Antichrist. what? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because he occasionally says something mildly nice, they now believe that. uh, Because there is a lot of, like, weird Catholic prophecy around, like, Marian apparitions around um, that eventually there will be a false pope, which is, like, what starts the Book of Revelation and stuff like that. There's a good chunk of, like, especially the the really conservative sect of the Catholic Church right now that is – and, like, it's not even a a secret. Like, I – I occasionally will dip into like mainstream Catholic publications like the National Catholic Register or like the Sunday Visitor and stuff like that. And for like a, there's a lot of stuff about like is 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 the Vatican Council trying to control the Pope like in their in the official Catholic stuff. It's 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 a weird weird time if you follow uh Catholic Church uh, shit occasionally as I unfortunately the the sun, the Sunday Visitor is that what it's called. <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the yes, yeah, the and then uh, okay. national can If you really want to see some crazy shit, the 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 big like um, the Huffington Post for Catholics is National Catholic Register, and it it it's uh yeah, it's they 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 are not shy with the fact that they think that the Pope may not be. Which again, then they still go about all the other stuff. It's it's crazy. That's fascinating. Um, but um, but yeah. Uh, it's, it's a lot of intrigue if you want to you kind of want to get into it uh, which unfortunately I am so that's yeah, one part we, of the we talk about the movie a little bit <laughs> well hold on so that's one part of the controversy <laughs> I, I do want to talk about the movie but I specifically I don't want to leave apart the other part which was a weird so you have kind of that sect of Christians and some conservative Catholics who are like this is blasphemy for sh- 
accurately depicting Christ's humanity or whatever. And then they kind of joined forces, which I think another group that had a lot more legitimate complaints to why they would protest and have problems with this movie. Um, Um, I I, so I, I don't know a ton about the protests that were happening at the time that the film came out, but I know that there were protests. Um, around the fact that there is a lot of anti-semitism in the movie i'm quite certain that none of it is intentional um it's all of it read to me like stuff that was so i mean first of all norman jewison who is not jewish um (laughs) even though his name is jewison um it's something you had to say right it it, well it comes up all the time because apparently he was when he got the job to direct fiddler it was assumed he was jewish oh boy so right but he but he did indeed direct fiddler an amazing film that you know you can tell from that alone that he he gets it so like that i've watched that film many many times i can't spot something tone deaf or offensive in it um so my assumption is that any of the anti-semitism that comes out in the movie is stuff that's so ingrained in the culture and stuff that i have i i have seen from friends of mine i have seen from people who are entirely well-meaning and just don't get what it is that they're saying. Um, yeah. But it, the the way that the Pharisees are portrayed, the way that there are certain visual signifiers, like some of this I think will be easier to talk about in the context of the actual movie. Um, yeah. But there's a lot there. And uh, even though I had a lot of familiarity with the musical prior to this, this was my first time seeing the movie. And it was a very... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It was a very different experience um, having this being something that's like predominantly an audio experience and then having it be multimedia and... Uh, adding the visuals adds a lot of potential for things to get very fucked up very quickly, which I yeah. honestly wasn't anticipating. Well, and the um, the way that the 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 kind of protester or concern about the way uh, the the Pharisees were depicted in this movie kind of ramped up as it as the the it expanded. Right, there was some concern in the rock opera. The, the Broadway show got a decent amount of stuff. And, and then the movie was really like, which I will talk about this. The movie's imagery goes very far in some, in some directions compared to uh, in a way that the, the album, you know, just literally can't. And in a way that the, the play, the play um, didn't. And I also like the last thing I'll say about this, I think one of the, why this kind of relates to what I, what I, we talked about a little bit earlier is that one of the huge problems when you do talk about this stuff and the stuff that Carrie's talking about is, and this was the same thing, same defense when the passion of the Christ came out. It's like, no, no, we, we love Jewish people. Like, of course, like we would never be offensive, but you know, th- this is history and that all happened. So we're just, we're just telling the story as it happened. And I think you're 100 percent right carrie like but like there's a um you know there's this weird thing of like it's weird calling the bible or the new testament the source material 
for this, but it's but it's true. They're like, well, that isn't the source material. And when we talk about that with other movies, a lot of times we're like, oh, thank God they took out the offensive shit in the source material. That book was written a hundred years ago. Like, let's let's you know celebrate the good, recognize the bad, and move on from there. But when you have a huge contingent of the movie-going public who believe that that is literal, written-with-lightning history, that uh, every single moment happened, even the parts that contradict the other parts, that's a problem for trying to talk about the anti-Semitism that is present. And this is the part where I get stuck because my understanding is that even if the source material in many respects is written from that angle. There are ways to interpret the text that don't lean into that aspect and that focus the, the villainy more yeah. on the empire than on the Jewish community. Like, am I, am I wrong? Or it, I think a big part of the protests also was just the history association of passion plays Throughout, you know, oh yes, gener- generations with yeah. with pogroms mm-hmm. and with uh, with all kinds of stuff. So even in advance, I think a lot of people approach the news of a new mainstream passion play with a lot of trepidation. But uh, there is, you know, like I guess in Matthew, the actual line is, you know, uh, Pilate says his blood. I won't have his blood on me. And it says yeah. the people as a whole answered, quote, his blood be on us and on our children. Yeah. So that's sort of the biblical root of that. A lot of uh, there's some interpretations that want to lean into that. People talking about like in those individuals as characters, you know what I mean? Like they're not supposed to be saying the Jewish community, but it's pretty easy to read his blood be on us and on our children the way that in, in it's like worst iteration. And yeah. people, that's yeah. how people have historically so there's that yeah and i do think that um most of the all i think all four gospels really don't blame the empire at all right um yeah the, the, it, it it most of them really lean into heavily about how much punches Pilate wanted to help um uh, jesus and like a lot of historical there's actually a ton uh, both, there's prisoner logs from when Pontius Pilate was, you know, uh, pro- governor or whatever the equivalent is. So, like, the the idea that we don't know a lot about him and that uh, – and basically his historical depiction is uh, – is, his historical uh, persona is very different than the one in the Bible. Like, most biblical or historical scholars that talk about this time will say, like, it is laughable that Pontius Pilate would have cared about any of this, let alone – uh, an innocent person being executed. They execute innocent people all the time. Like, it's not like he's looking into humanity. And the idea that one way or the other, like, there's the whole thing, which they don't get into this movie, about, like, okay, you're such a good guy, but they really want to kill somebody. I'm going to get, like, the worst guy, like, a rapist and a murderer, a guy named Barabbas, and we're going to – I'm going to put you two side by side, and they'll be reasonable, and they pick Barabbas to be, like, pardoned. And he's like, yeah, I – Fine, and that's when he kind of washes his hands and does that thing of like uh, wishing well. But like they, um, you know, they they really go hard on the fact that. Uh, but but like to to a lot of scholars' point, like the idea that he would give one iota of shit about what the people of Israel thought about who he was executing or not is just not accurate in any component. So 
if, if there was a man named Jesus who was executed, uh, it should be 99.99999, whatever rounding up percent on that. And the fact that in a time where there was not a lot of uh, Roman sympathy, all of these books are written from the perspective of, of Pontius Pilate being the better guy. Uh, or the somewhat trying to, you know, kind of fails at being a good guy, but tries to be a good guy is is really telling about the the era that this that these gospels were written, and unfortunately, is to to Rick's point, has a level of anti uh, anti semitism that has that has really uh, prospered today. Yeah, I mean, I I, I uh, grew up uh, was to say is like we were talking about earlier, like a, a, a rather nuance free simplified stripped down uh condensed version of the scripture with no color no real discussion of why the various books uh disagree with one another but the one thing that he got hit a lot growing up was that Pontius Pilate was just sort of uh you know a a, a piece of the puzzle he was not yep. the he, even you know, he's mentioned in uh is it the Nicene Creed um yeah like He's there's kind of like a okay, but you know he was just kind of doing his job, or oh, you know his his hands were tied. Um, is 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 something that I was definitely raised with, and it like informs this movie in a way that like when you're watching a movie <laughs> and something horrible happens, you're looking for you're listening to any narrative, you're you're looking for heroes and villains, and the guy who's helping the poor, the guy who's helping the lepers. Um, which I, I, again, also this movie like uh, has some lots of color there on whether or not Jesus actually performs any miracles. Um, but uh, regardless, he hangs out with lepers. Um, th- with all of that going on, um, the the movie still takes time to like wipe their hands uh, for for uh, for Punch's pilot. Though Herod uh, gets kind of like thrown in with the pharisees herod's just uh what's the futurama robot he did it as a bot yeah Uh, yeah great character yeah well i'm I'm sure he was taking a little (laughs) bit from but uh yeah it so carrie i don't know if if uh it, it does feel like this is really rooted unfortunately in the in like all four god like yeah. this is the one story of the bible that gets hit all four times right like not even not even all four books of the bible mention the nativity and like you know jesus's birth and stuff like that and this is a story that really gets hit and it's you know they hit it hard i think in all of them so my understanding and this is like fairly limited so you know i i don't want to be claiming to be an expert on this in any way but my understanding is that there is at least some there is some discussion about how the reason why the gospels are written the way that they are is because it would have been very bad to piss off the empire at the time in which it was written and that there needed to be a villain for the story and if they went with Pilate, it would have, you know, completely quashed Christianity and at the same time, they you know they were they were secting out from Judaism and needed to differentiate themselves in some way so with both of those two things together that's how that angle developed um and yeah. i i just 
from I mean, obviously, I'm coming at this from a very different perspective, but I, I just sort of always assumed that that would be taken as a given that like there would be some basic understanding that like, you know, well, but like, obviously, like the Jews weren't powerful enough to actually like, you know, do this. And at the same time, like, you know, Jesus was a leader in the Jewish community. The debates that he was having with the Pharisees were inter-community debates, like, there that there has to be some understanding of that and um perhaps that's a little bit naive i don't know (laughs) unfortunately i hate saying this i think at least in you know anything that i've ever learned even in like more conservative catholicism or mainstream like that like when learning about the the historical components of Roman rule of Israel and Jerusalem and, and Pontius Pilate and Herod as like actual people and stuff like that was was mind blowing. It is not something <clears throat> never they discuss in my so, like because I mean and part of that is because you know they the the these gospels are read as as the most accurate history of all time because it's blessed by God. So the uh, a historical perspective that runs counter to every single single thing in these books happening is is unfortunately just not not part of but you're 100% right on probably the covering the, you know trying to cover up the 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 Roman stuff to make sure that the books would get distributed and people wouldn't get killed because um you know a lot of scholars feel like the book of revelation is uh it's like the animal farm of its time a little bit. Oh, like it's yeah. specifically calling it's specifically calling out the evils of the Roman Empire in a way that um you know it's uh, or like the you know the Star Trek themes about racism that they could put on television. Like, we're gonna write this thing about all these terrible things. These are all as we tell people about them, we're gonna be clear that like, yeah, the early stuff is Nero. And then later on, like, you know, they're they're retelling the evils of the Empire through this um fantastical allegory that's interesting yeah uh but i feel like we have been serious for too long are you guys ready to very specifically not get off by hearing ted neely sing about who's gonna betray him absolutely hey jeepers Uh, taglines for this year, Jesus yeah. Christ Superstar. 
Yeah, Jesus Christ Superstar. Jesus Christ Superstar. But Jesus that That was a fun thing to do as a Catholic when you tried to give a little bit of spice onto Jesus Christ to see if you could get away with uh, being yeah. saying a swear. Didn't well, a little, little paprika on that one. A little, little paprika, yeah. Jesus Christ Superstar, based on a true story. I think that's the funniest tagline there could be for this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they would have gotten in a little, little trouble for that one? I, I like the idea of just protesting a tagline. <laughs> no, it's not based on a true story. <laughs> um, uh, inspire, or inspired by a true inspired, story. Or just he's back. Yeah. Uh, he, he's back a Jesus Christ story. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, if you say it in the cadence of "We're back," a dinosaur story, it really—I think it really <laughs> Uh Peter, what happens? Uh, please go intricately through all the plot beats that mm. Jesus Christ Superstar shares with us. <laughs> well, take us back to the year zero. <laughs> uh, no, uh, um, so uh, Jesus Christ Superstar is, is a super story. Well, <laughs> yeah. my, my notes for this uh, podcast uh, file was accidentally titled Jesus Christ Superstore. So that's like yeah, you get off, where you get all your Jesus Christ stuff. <laughs> I'll tell you what, capitalism keeps getting into the story of Jesus. I did watch this movie the same day I watched the Superstore finale, the NBC show. So maybe that's where my brain is kind of getting it from. So uh, this is the, the telling of it's the telling of a passion play. It's telling of the the uh, the final days of Jesus Christ. Um, so where, where do we, where do we begin? Um, a bunch of hippies come in on a bus into the middle of the <laughs> desert in Israel. For a little bit, I was like, oh, they just went out to, like, Death Valley. <laughs> Do you think they ran into, like, uh, they went to Spawn Ranch where Charlie Manson was hanging out? <laughs> it's, all filmed, it's all filmed It kind of Ranch. feels like that, though. <laughs> I, it is fun. Okay, so we have to get this out of the way. This movie is 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 very similar to the Mr. Show sketch. No, it's not very similar. It's like, very it's similar in that. Shots are taken, jokes are taken. Almost, almost every every song is just like a tiny riff on the original song. Yeah, so I, I gotta this. We, I agree. Let's pause here. The fourth episode of Mister Show, or it might be the fifth, has one of my favorite sketches, which is Jeeper, Jeepers Creepers Semi Star. Peter, that starts with a bunch of hippies getting off a bus and doing weird stuff and wigs and sunglasses and stuff like that. Until all of a sudden, Jesus Christ shows up. Um, when you saw this for the first time, knowing that, knowing how much you've seen Mr. Show, were you like, holy shit, there's a bus. <laughs> how is that part of this movie? Uh, I laughed so fucking hard. <laughs> And then I laughed somehow even harder when they do the do 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 do. It's I'm, I think I'm doing this Jesus theme actually. <laughs> yeah, you're doing it wrong. No, yeah, the 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 way that they just zoom in on David Cross eight, eight times. Eight times. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, they they must be exaggerating something in this Mister Show sketch. Nope, it's the same thing. And then he comes same down thing, from the yeah. mountain. And he goes, check this shit out. And he's dancing and flailing around. Um, again, I'm just doing the the riff from uh, Doom. Um, so Judas is up hanging out in the mountain, talking about this Jesus guy, talking about how he loves him. How, but he has some some conflicts with the way that he's been leading their 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 crew, the 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 old apostles, um, and the disciples. Don't forget about them. 
Uh, <laughs> can't forget about the companions as well as the friends. <laughs> companions. What is, is companion? What is the differentiation between apostle and disciple? Well, so there's young people, Carrie, and then there's also companions. <laughs> Everything is they're about the same age. <laughs> oh man! You know, I'm really concerned. Look, don't come on this show unless you have an encyclopedic knowledge of one specific Mister Show's cast. <laughs> that is a 30 second offer that Peter guys, and I reference constantly on, for some reason. It's on like every episode. <laughs> I know. Oh, good. Yeah, you know, I'm concerned about the the apostles, but I'm also really concerned about the disciples. Um, there's a there's a Catholic fucking reason why some of them were elevated, but disciples are essentially, you know, they're they're like the larger group, and the apostles are like the, the, the they're like the in the in crowd. You know, disciples just means followers, and apostles are like the special followers. Yeah, I see, I see. yeah, yeah. they're the ones that get named. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's like at the end of Avengers Endgame, where you know, like, Iron Man and shit, but then you see some, like, guy that kind of looks like a snail in the background one shot, and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> Who's that guy? He's just awesome. <laughs> I guess he's awesome. I like how, like, yeah, the, but but even among the, like, even among the main characters with the apostles, right, like, some are kind of like the Super Hawkeyes, apostles. right? Like. Like, like Tom, like, like Thomas, his whole thing is like, he's nowhere in the rest of the Bible. And then Jesus comes back from the dead. And he's like, bullshit. He's like, hey, stick your fingers <laughs> hey, in my holes, Thomas. <laughs> quit, okay. Quit. Yeah. Oh, is there a nail hole there? Yeah. Cause I got killed. And like, that's his whole part. That's his, he's one of the 12 apostles. His entire part, part uh, his entire part in the story is being a dick to Jesus. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Do you think Thomas washed his hands before he did that? <laughs> yeah, they really. Dove in. Uh, they they uh, I, even though Jesus knew a lot, he did not preach germ theory. To <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyways, uh, Judas is up there, and he's essentially talking about the central conflict of the play because, in 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 some ways, this is kind of a two hander between Judas and Jesus. Um. <laughs> Because, and that's something that was controversial, as Aaron uh, discussed earlier, um, that uh, Jesus is, is sidelined for portions of, of his own story. Um, but Judas is there to kind of highlight a lot of the conflicts of, of how he feels about this. Like, why are we spending so much money on anointing oils when that money could be spent <laughs> on the poor? Why are we spending money on this? Why are, why are we it's trying like, to challenge like the, the Pharisees so much? Fuck it. It's like I the respond to that. Oh, I, I said fuck. And Siri told me that you would not respond to that. But uh, what I was trying to say, Siri, is that um, Siri got converted after watching, after sitting in my pocket during Jesus Christ. Um, but uh, it does remind me of a drill tweet, like overthrowing the Roman Empire and having a new uh, new kingdom on Earth. Like, okay, twenty dollars on robes. Fifty dollars on food, three thousand dollars on anointing. <laughs> like, so, someone, please help me manage my budget. My apostles are dying. <laughs> it is that like Judas has a point. Every time Judas steps up, he's like, "You're kind of like, yeah, man, yeah, oh yeah." Except for the slut shaming part. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Not every time, I guess, but a lot of the shit is like. Yeah, fair complaints, and that's the entire point, right? It's supposed to be sympathetic towards Judas. Uh, so when the moment comes of the great betrayal, spoilers, um, if you were 
um, lucky enough to not be raised with any exposure to Christianity. Um, but uh, yeah, so they're they're preaching, having a good time, chilling, hanging out, laxing all cool, shooting some b-ball outside the school. When a couple of guys, they were up to no good. The Pharisees, they see Jesus and they're like, they're like, ah, we hate him. He's so popular because, you know, Pharisees, they hate the popular kids. Um, and they're like, where is he getting his money from? Or um, that might be from Jeepers Creepers Superstar. <laughs> Definitely from Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> Keeps playing those damn video games. I was on the 18th hole. <laughs> yeah, and like, close the refrigerator door. They're not paying to cool the out of doors. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that today. It's oh, so man. good. Um, but yeah, that's that's the deal. The Pharisees, they're they're pissed. They're jealous. They're they're challenging the pre- uh, Jesus is challenging the priestly class with the sort of faux democratic um, d- discipleship because he with is kind of chill hangout vibe. Because the one thing that's very specific about this one too, not only does Judas have all these ideas of what Jesus should do or is doing, everyone does, and yeah. Jesus is just like yeah, yeah, I don't know, dude. Like he is. Does he do any advocating all that much besides just, like, everyone chill out at any point? None. <laughs> Absolutely none. Hearing where Andrew Lloyd Webber was coming from and how he believed Jesus was, like, an accident of history makes so much sense when you know that watching this. Because at no point does Jesus really do anything but try to tell people to temper their expectations of him. And in fact, he seems pretty annoyed at a lot of the people around him. Yeah, Jesus is suffering what I think is actually some the most I've ever sympathized with Jesus as a character, you know, a, a barring, you know, being murdered for no fucking reason, um, is, uh, you know, jumping back to what I was saying earlier, they don't typically humanize the character of Jesus very much. They, they divinitize him, but they don't really humanize him much. Um, and one thing that I really appreciate is that, like, there's a moment there's moments where he's like, man, I'm like his humanity is confining him. He's like, I can't I, I, I feel like I can't save everyone. I, I can't touch all these lepers and these 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 uh, handicapped people and these people who are, who are sick and people who have you know money problems. I can't I can't save them all. There's just too many. The 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 grand weight of suffering in the world is too great for one man to to have. And like that leading directly into the crucifixion um is is i think like one of the best setups for the story of christ that i've ever i've ever uh i've ever had in one of these stories where usually it's just like jesus was an awesome dude he interpreted the scripture and some mean guys murdered him um, <laughs> it's not very interesting right um but jesus essentially in the story is acting as a pharisee he's like interpreting scripture speaking to people helping them interpret scripture debating um he does uh the jesus stuff you know uh, goes to the temple, flips the, 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 what is it? The money changers hates when people are changing money, uh, <laughs> this temple. Yeah. Like, like, but buddy, I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to Syria next week. I need, <laughs> I need my money changed. <laughs> I'm willing to pay a small fee to do so. Um, but, <laughs> uh, so Jesus flips. It's the not tables. just our house of worship. Like, there's no malls yet, Jesus. <laughs> and so uh, Judas is also very much convinced that um, they're all going to be murdered when the hammer comes down. And if he gives up Jesus, 
maybe he can save the apostles and the, and the disciples and maybe you know their 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 group can go on to do some good with the community at least that's what judas's version of the story is he refuses the payment at first um well he walks in explaining how well we can talk about that song i, I like that song quite a bit but yeah uh, uh, i think i think it's a great like uh musical version of like uh, just self-justification mm-hmm. yeah yeah but it's coming from a very empathetic place um which is which is great because when you're writing drama it's good to be empathetic for your characters um so um uh jesus is eventually uh we get to the we get to the the, the part of the story where jesus is arrested uh, and jesus uh is betrayed by judas uh you know this you know this part um and he gets kind of passed back and forth in political machinations between the the pharisees between pontius pilate between king herod and eventually he lands uh you know with with Pilate and Pilate has to uh, give down a sentence because the uh, the Pharisees do not have power to put Jesus to death directly, but they can pressure uh, in this version of the story. Again, we'll get into the anti-Semitism of it. I'm merely depicting what's in the story. <laughs> this version of the story, uh, the Pharisees put apply pressure and they they roused up enough of the crowd to get uh, Pontius Pilate to feel pressured to put Jesus to death. Um, and he's like, fine, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, so he does it. He wipes his hands of it. Jesus, um, is, uh, you know, uh, he, he, it kind of fades out after the whipping, right? Yeah. He, he essentially, uh, Jesus is, um, unable to make his case with Herod. He's unable to make his case with Pilate. Uh, he doesn't really try to, yeah. um, cause at this Unwilling. point he's, he's sort of come to come yeah. to, to peace with his own death, um, after the garden of Gethsemane. And, uh, yeah, he, right before he's, um, he's put to death, uh, he encounters the ghost of Judas, which is not in the original text, I don't believe. Um, and Judas is wearing a pretty cool angel costume. Um, mm-hmm. they... Judas, Judas, uh, look, death treated Judas pretty well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's coming down like, from heaven on, like, a pole. This is very, it's very yeah. good timing with that little, uh, little Nas X, uh, yeah. music video. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, he offers a bunch of criticism of, uh, hey, if, uh, of the way that Jesus approached the whole thing at the end, which, again, is almost uh, explicitly, I think, Weber said, this is my thoughts about Jesus. And it's also because it's closing a debate. Yeah. It's it's uh, finishing off a debate between the two yeah. characters, right? Um, the whole point is that it's Judas and Jesus in, in opposition. <laughs> and Judas is very sure. And Jesus is like a, a, a little shaky. Um, yeah. And yet Jesus still goes to the cross, makes that final sacrifice. Um, and then, yeah, like the, the, then they the movie leave ends on a bummer. The bus goes away. Yeah, the, the movie ends on a bummer. Like everyone gets on the bus. Uh, this framing that I started talking about maybe an hour and a half ago. Um, this uh, this framing uh, is very metatextual. Like Mary Magdalene gets on the bus and then Judas gets on the bus. <laughs> They're not mad at each other. I'm just like their their characters playing a piece of the puzzle in the grand passion play, right? Um, everybody played their role to to get to the final product. One of the interesting trivia notes I read was that like when the bus got to the airport, everyone went, "Where's Ted?" And they really did leave him up on that cross. Oh man, that sucks for Ted. <laughs> a bummer. That's, that's not true. Uh, is he still there? Is he still there to this day? <laughs> I mean, no, I saw him in 1992. So sometime between 1973 <laughs> and 1992, he got down and they convinced him to do, uh, to yeah. do it again. Well, that's a relief. But I think that's a good segue to that. I shared a little bit of my history with 
this like uh with this musical uh uh what are you guys how were you guys introduced to it so we had this on vinyl at my house i actually texted my sisters earlier because i had assumed that it was one of my older sisters but they both said it was not it had preceded them so it must have been my uh my parents and probably my mom's which is uh funny because i don't remember her ever listening to jesus christ superstar i inherited it and smoked tons of pot and listened to jesus (laughs) christ superstar so that's basically my history i know i saw the movie like you aaron in college uh it was not part of my world but the the record was what when you for, did you uh, end up liking the movie and watching it, or were you just like, yeah, this isn't quite my Jesus Christ Superstar? Nope, I was we'll I was like, this is this sounds different, and I don't care for it. <laughs> okay, so is this your second time watching it? It's probably like my third or fourth, okay. even because we had it on. I think we kind of watched it ironically, or had it on playing ironically in college, uh, which is like you know. A shitty college thing to do, but we were, that's what we were doing. It'd be funny if you did, like, uh, one of those um, Dark Side of the Moon, Wizard of Oz things, but you just put on the original concept album over... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should have done yeah. that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Carrie, what's your what's your history with this this old J- JCS? Um, my parents are big Andrew Lloyd Webber fans, and there was a cassette tape of... Uh, like a compilation tape of Andrew Lloyd Webber hits that we would listen to in the car. And I believe it opened with Superstar and I Don't Know How to Love Him. And around the age that I was listening to this was probably around the same age that I was listening to Les Mis and having like a lot of big feelings about Eponine singing on my own and being like, <laughs> oh yeah, she totally gets it. And and I don't know how to love him is a very similar experience. Um, so I really gravitated towards those songs, um, not having much of a context for the rest of the show, um, but knowing that it knowing that I liked what I had heard of the music. Um, and yeah. my even though my family was like fairly anti-assimilationist in a lot of ways, Jesus Christ Superstar was not exactly off limits because uh, I, I think because of the humanity of how he's portrayed and how the the musical is humanizing and uh, making Jesus very earthly and I, I think my parents didn't see that as quite as threatening. Um, I don't remember when I first started listening to the full album, but it, it, it's music that I've listened to for a very long time and that um, I've just enjoyed a whole lot. My favorite uh, album is the uh, 1996 uh, London recording. Um, and it's... It, yeah, it's just... it's It's been with me a long time and I watched the i think the nbc version a couple years ago was the first live version i ever saw um and i've had never seen the movie before it was something that i had been curious about for a long time and this was the perfect way to finally see it my dad in particular uh is a big musical guy which was just something like we could have had in common a lot earlier but uh I, I think he pushed musicals on me that were very corny um if you pushed if you had pushed more um all that jazz and less um, uh, Oklahoma. Maybe we could have come together sooner. Um, but uh, anyways, he loved this. And 
Um, he would play this sometimes like in his, uh, his like office side room. Um, and then my mom would beg him to stop singing along. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I definitely saw the movie when I was a kid, but like all this shit is, it's almost like spooktober rules. Like all this happened before I was in junior high. So like my memories of this are not particularly strong. Um, but different stuff did sort of, um, uh, echo it did sort of shake the bells a little bit in me where I was like, oh, yeah, I, remember, I definitely remember this. Definitely remember this. But also, again, hate to come back <laughs> to it. Some of that is also the Mr. Show sketch. <laughs> that, that weird <laughs> nostalgic familiarity was also because I watched Mr. Show when I was like 11. So, well, well, also, like, I can't imagine a movie more designed to make sure it was it was like peter proof right like i can't i can't think like it's a movie about jesus which you were not a fan of it's a music like it is a musical there's not talking in it it, and you hated musicals and like what fucking millennial likes hippie culture at that age for the most part it's kind of a little bit like yeah fuck you dudes Um, this is stupid um so i mean like this this feels like if someone was like What's a movie that 17-year-old Peter would fucking gouge his eyes out rather than watch? I, this would be that movie. Which oh. is why we have two guests on this episode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm glad I'm glad that I came out um at least at least uh somewhat positive on it. Well, I find the I have issues with the movie and I have some issues with the original music. Like I found myself actually really impressed um by some of the sequences and 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 um I found myself actually pretty impressed by just the overall effort um and how much it kind of challenged me um and how much it wasn't this reverent piece of like all right yeah it's it's religious propaganda but like it's not that um it's not that Uh, but uh can i can i take a quick step back two steps back carrie when you were a kid Mm -hmm. did, did were you more familiar with this or Joseph and the Amazing Technical or Dreamcoat? Because I I listened to Joseph and the Te- Technical or Dreamcoat all the time as a kid, and for some reason this one didn't click, didn't power through as much. I was definitely more familiar with Joseph, but Joseph same. didn't have the same staying power. I don't think it's as, I don't think it's a show that's quite as good. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never yeah, I've never also, heard or like, seen. I feel like for Joseph kids, is. it's easier to get kids like uh, oh, know, yeah. like Donny Eisman train than like seventies cosmic rock, like a uh, you know prog rock shit. And and also <laughs> at my so at my I I, I think I mentioned this uh, on a previous musical May, but at um, my Jewish school that I went to, the eighth grade would always put on a production of a musical in Hebrew, and there was a year that they did Joseph. Which makes a lot of sense, and uh, they did not ever do Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> Whoa! Wait, so did also you- weird. Also makes sense. Yeah, it was uh, my my parents liked this because they loved the you know uh, I don't know how to love him was a radio hit that it essentially I'm not surprised it was a radio hit because it functions without outside of the musical right like most of yeah. the songs in here do not that one could just be just a song about a. Uh, 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 you know, someone loving someone else uh, and not knowing how to express that love. So uh, that's my parents actually found the musical and the album because they liked that song and bought the album. Oh. And so I, I always thought that was 
Yeah. So that's my parents are, were not musical people at all, but my dad was a huge uh, music person working at a radio station that had a huge record collection, you know, favorite bands like The Who and stuff like that. So he just had anything that was played on the radio in the 70s, he was probably playing it and a lot of it stuck with him. And then he'd bring it home and, you know, eventually. Uh, and my mom had somewhat of a similar story as well. She used to go to concerts and really, you know, she was in college in the 70s. So. Uh, in high school in the seventies, uh, so yeah, they it's it is funny that they came to it more from just liking the song and then buying the album, and then as they later became religious, they were like, oh yeah, Jesus, that corresponds with some things we want to talk about more. Um, Peter, did you end up listening to the original cast recording? I listened to the um, original concept album, and then I listened to a little bit of the, was it the 96 yeah. British? Mm-hmm. London, London. I listened to a little bit of that, th- those two. Just out of curiosity, because uh, I think we're going to transition, just talk about some of the some of the songs. You're like, did you, did you which, which order did you do it? In and then did you have movie, concept album, and then select cuts from the 96 one? Did you end up liking them? So I think the three of us here are generally biased because our first introduction to all of this was was the concept album. Did you feel like having watched in a reverse order and having not much connection in general to either from childhood? Did you end up finding uh, one's music superior? Or oh, absolutely. Sound- the original concept album's music is, is far superior, but okay. like, uh, and it, it, uh, um, in terms of um, the actual orchestration, but also like, I mean, some of this is just like aesthetic shit. Like the, the texture of a con of a 1970 concept album is just a lot better to me than the super crisp 1990s, yeah. like Broadway cast production. Like that's just, mm-hmm. That's just an aesthetic preference. Um, but in uh, some of the vocal performances in the 1996 version, I preferred. Uh, I like Mary Magdalene better than in... Uh, Mary Magdalene is actually contiguous between the original concept album and the movie. Yep. Yep. Um, I prefer her performance in the 96 British Broadway one. Um, and then... Um, but like across the board, generally the original concept album stuff is stronger. And it all comes back to a little character name jesus christ <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> jesus uh, yeah this this is a you know i i don't know if we said it, if we rick said he doesn't like this movie peter said he laughed at this movie carrie saw it for the first time i actually have a ton of affection for this movie and it's the weirdest thing because i i i saw my letterbox rating upon rewatching it was five stars and it's like yeah i kind of do feel that way and that i could probably watch this on most days and enjoy it and i i do really love it but I don't love it for what's on screen. Yeah. Like, I don't love – I just I just love – it's easily one of my top two or three favorite musicals, if not my favorite musical of all time. And so, like, I just like that part of it. It may be the only movie where I, where I recognize the movie itself is pretty terrible. But my reason for loving it is not – and giving it a high rating is not like what, what you do with something like The Room or Birdemic or other bad movies. Like I, I don't love it in an ironic way. I legitimately love it because it reminds me of something it's, – it's a, it's a lesser version of something else that I also love. Right. And that's weird. Like I can't think of another example of that. 
And there there are I think enough things to like about the movie itself like a lot, there are some performances that are really good there I mean the music is all really good so I I think it makes sense that even though it's not as strong as probably most other versions that you might see, it is still a very high quality piece of art in the yeah. first place. So you can't you can't mess it up that badly. <laughs> I, you can in some ways, but <laughs> I, I I feel like there's a. It's very funny, uh, Aaron. Do you know the other Norman Jewison movie we've covered on the show? Yeah, I do. Rollerball. It's in my notes. <laughs> um, both, both about uh, about uh, JCs, right? James Con and that's Jesus so Christ. funny. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make sure you remember that these are the two that we covered, and probably will never cover. You know, Fiddler on the Roof or whatever. I would love to do Moonstruck someday, but anyways, um, snap out of it, Peter. <laughs> step out of it. We're never doing Moonstruck. Or We're never it'll doing be, Moonstruck. It'd be incredibly just for the funny. joke. It'd be incredibly funny to do like Fist and Gotti and the Irishman. Just do all like the bad, the bad uh, mobs teamster movies, and then do the one good one. Uh, but uh, but anyways, Rollerball is amazing, and Rollerball has a very like uh, taut propulsive quality to it. Um, and this movie has a a, a a a serious propulsive quality. Like scene to scene, yeah. it's so watchable. Um, the yeah. editing is really aggressive the way it is in Rollerball. Um, there are some really gorgeous shots, but like it has this seventies cheapness that like yeah. I I don't totally understand. So like I'm I'm still parsing it out because. They had the money to, dra- to drag the whole cast to Israel. They presumably drove all the way from Hollywood to Israel in that bus. Um, yes. Yeah. It's it's like the it's like the fucking um, electric. Yeah. <laughs> it comes out, exactly. of, water, comes out of the water and like it comes out of the water in China covered in seaweed and shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. They had this money, all this money, and but like. There's this weird porniness to it where, like, I I feel like if they had gone out to Joshua Tree and shot a porn parody of Jesus Christ Superstar in 1975, let's say, it wouldn't look that much cheaper than this movie. I imagine the music would be worse, but... Am I wrong? And Ted Neely also kind of looks like a porn version of Jesus. <laughs> Ted Neely would be in that version too. <laughs> yeah, Ted Neely's like, in both. Like Ted Neely looks like he auditioned from the waist down. Um, well, I think one of the weird <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um uh, I I do think one of the weird things about like so they're shooting on historical sites and and stuff which you kind of watch like in the mind of like how difficult that stuff would be to do now and like no one would let you do this um, I can't believe they let people do this in seven, 1973 yeah. uh, on ruins right but the way they cover for that is like scaffolding and like that's a weird aesthetic too like scaffolding over ruins <laughs> as buildings yeah and like uh and like imagined scenes right like they do the palm sunday moment for the hosanna song and it's like you know 20 people walking through a you know 
uh, a dirt pit, basically, right? Where like the aesthetic of that in the Bible is like he's 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 going through Jerusalem, right? Which is this extraordinarily populous area, and he's being greeted by the entire city, and you know, specifically the Pharisees are. That's when they really are like, that's it. We're 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 done with this. Like the whole city has turned out in favor of him. Where uh, it's just it is odd and it's not odd necessarily in a bad way yeah it just it's it's i don't even know how to describe it I, yeah i want to clarify real quick that you know i don't it's not that i dislike the movie as a whole i dislike i don't it's my least favorite version of the songs and yeah. there's definitely like peter was saying something like tacky at its aesthetic at, at its heart it's aesthetically tacky in a lot of ways but like that sort of like you know i don't I hesitate to call it Brechtian, but that's like meta – that foregrounding of artifice that they do is actually really interesting. There's a lot of things to like about it um, or at least to uh, to enjoy examining because it's weird. So Simon, uh, Simon is dancing with a bunch of people going absolutely like balls to the wall, uh, North Korea style dance moves to impress Jesus. <laughs> Um, and then he is he is covered in sweat, man. He's going for it. It's actually like yeah. a very committed, like awesome performance. Like I don't yeah. think it's yeah. long, but yeah, I, I cool. agree. I wish there was more da- more dance scenes. I would have been support. Like when they do have dance scenes, like in King's Hair and and Simon's uh, Zealots. Yeah, it's fantastic. One hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, and it, it's 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 very like it's very like energetic and fun in a way that like uh, you know I didn't expect for a movie from this era. Um, but, uh, it's, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm seeing all these hippies it wearing their like jeans and t-shirts doing this like very erratic, very fast dance. It's very physically impressive. And all I'm thinking, <laughs> and then all I'm thinking is like, these guys are on drugs. And then, uh, Simon comes up to Jesus and he's like, there's 50,000 people out there, Jesus. And it's like a desert with like 20 people. And like, Where? Man, this guy. I, okay, I get it. You do you do a couple lines. You feel like a fucking king. I get it. But, but like, come on, man. Like, if you're going to exaggerate, at least say like 100 people. You don't say 50,000. Well, in the Somebody play, get Simon you some assume... water and have him sit down. <laughs> well, he is hanging out with Jesus, right? So that's not water most of the time. Um, but I'm trying to get hydrated. Know. It's 120 yeah. degrees. <laughs> I, I forget what what uh, what comedian had like a, a bit about like that. Like, oh yeah, I mean that's great, unless you're just thirsty. Um, or like, and like I'm in recovery. Uh, but but yeah, it works better when you're off stage. But I think that's a good segue before we get into some of our favorite songs. Like, so this movie features. Heavily, uh, anachronistic uh, 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 imagery, and that is not specific to the movie. That's actually holdover from the play, right? They they a lot of the they would wear more modern dress. The the Roman guards would just have a fake, you know, stage guns and helmets and stuff like that. Like some of that came from its very like uh, inexpensive roots, and that like they just were really having trouble getting funding for this, and so it was easier just to raid. Uh, available costumes uh, and i feel like 
you know, that makes a lot of sense in the creation of a play. And then that just kind of became part of the Jesus Christ Superstar aesthetic, right? We're not going for we the, these uh, these these imageries that are that are part of the modern era also just tie in really well to the ending song. We're just going to make it part of the the way that it's viewed. This movie though takes it to to a realm that is probably the only parts of the movie that I am like genuinely guffawing at how silly it is. Um, and then, and like when they cut to Judas running from his like guilt, and he's <laughs> chased by three tanks in formation. Uh, it it or like there's jets flying overhead. I don't know. Like, do, well, I don't know what military they rented for a day and where the budget went to that. But, exactly. Uh, that's like that's their that's their anointing oils. Their anointing oil budget line <laughs> item is the jets. <laughs> yeah, we used yeah we knew we used uh you know uh great value canola oil for the anointing oils because all of our money went into paying the IDF to borrow the tanks for an afternoon. <laughs> Wait, you exactly. bought you bought those tanks? That's the whole budget. We can't. Rent tanks, Norman. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna need the tanks, Norman. What, what'd you pack on the no. bus? <laughs> yeah, I got a great deal from the Contras. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mamma mia. Um, but yeah, but boy, there's a lot of singing in this movie, huh? There's a so lot of singing. singing. Maybe too I much. I would say 50, 60 percent of the movie is singing. Yeah, there's just like a. I would say, I would say seventy, eighty. What can carry, Rick? What do you think? Ninety. <laughs> you would, but you wouldn't say it's less than fifty. Not less than fifty. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 uh, just getting into that really quickly. I, I mostly have respect for the actual compositions but there's a thing that I, I i kept uh rubbing against i kept getting getting frictional for me with um some of the sequences that i especially early sequences where they're just setting up the plot where i'm like if this were a 30 second calm conversation and i could have like a little bit of space to breathe like this would have landed emotionally better for me oh, okay. um, but th there's moments where there's just song and then a character enters at the end of the song and then they're like, all right, let's just have someone. Why don't you just leave? And then there's just a bunch of drums banging back and forth. Like it's completely broken off from the main of the song. It's just like uh, we need music to be playing while these people are talking and they need to be saying these words in this specific context. And it's just it felt very um, it, 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 it felt very forced to me at times. And also, like, I felt bad for the performers for having to fit all these words into a specific frame. Like, <laughs> you have to say these words and pronounce them and sing them all really, really fast. And I'm like, it, like, maybe rappers could pull this off. But, like, it had a, a, a lack of um, a lack of uh, punk. Uh, uh, punctuation or a, a lack of power to me at a certain point because like I felt like they were just trying to squeeze in as many words into a particular music formation when so like yeah. if, if if Ted Neely if Ted Neely put out a, a hip hop record you would not be first in line <laughs> a tribe called Neely <laughs> a tribe called Ted a tribe called Ted <laughs> <laughs> uh ted's love no that doesn't work at all uh, <laughs> but like i just don't i yeah i i just there are, there are certain moments where 
um this this uh is there is there a term for singing the entire thing opera like yeah, no, musical. yeah. You went. it's a rock it's a rock i mean opera. there's a lot of i mean hamilton does it les mis does it right like there's there's a lot of musicals it, if you're gonna I, do it i want you in to fairness do it, i f- i want you to do it all within the context of the song i don't want you to break down and then just have this moment where like well we need music while they're talking and then they need to like punctuate their talking to a particular weird beat that's completely detached from the song i don't know how to tell you this peter all the musicals that are all musicals do that every it, single one it's 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 i think it's the reason i hated wicked when i saw it live was i was just like there's just like too much too much that could have just been a conversation but doesn't w- wicked has dialogue scenes, wicked right? does have dialogue but they also do this thing that i'm talking about where they're just like tacking oh, yeah, on exposition on the end of songs like just fit it in the in the framework of the song like that's all i'm asking yeah, I, you're I, saying about the speed of it too. I, I kind of noticed for the first time because I, I've always really enjoyed the cadence of the music in Jesus Christ Superstar, and watching the movie was the first time that it like uh, really occurred to me that it is hard to catch all of the lyrics. It is hard yeah, to really for be- expositional shit because I especially because like since I started noticing for the first time like oh shit there's aspects of the story that I I am feeling some gaps with it made me try to pay a little bit more attention to the lyrics than I normally would and it is hard to keep up. Yeah, mm-hmm. Carrie's like fifty thousand, and and I love that song, but that it that entire song yeah. makes zero sense to me. I can't tell you plot wise what's happening there because I don't know about I don't know about Simon. I don't I mean, that's just not a story that I have any familiarity with. So when I was watching it and being like, I'm feeling like there is a lot of assumed knowledge happening here. Like, I love that song. And also, I can't tell you what the fuck it's actually about. I, I I was yeah you're 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 going where I was I was going which is like I think without the um presumed understanding of the passion play like a lot of this stuff would just be lost and it makes me wonder could they have cut more of the expositional stuff because people a large percentage of their audience already knows the story. <laughs> Well, and the, not to un, um actually, I know it's going to feel like that, but like I actually think the the Simon Zellert song is. I mean, that's not part of the Passion Play. It is part of the Bible, right? A lot of um, not Simon specifically, but there's a lot of one. <laughs> the, the people that Jesus gets the angriest at in the Bible, besides the 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 Pharisees, is at his own apostles. He is constantly pissed at them, constantly thinking that they should do better. And one of the ways that he's pissed at them a lot of times is because they constantly are telling him stuff like, "Let's take over the Roman Empire. Let's let's you know you you're the king. You're the king. You're you're the son of God. Like we should do some shit." Which in that case, like there is a part of me that kind of. I mean, I, how could you put yourself in a mythical situation? But like, if like if this was all real and I was back in those times or whatever, I would probably be like, yeah, you know, maybe do something. I don't know. Well, yeah, if you're well, you're I, you're being crushed under the heel of you know your oppressor and fashion, just yeah. yeah, you have a someone's coming to deliver you from oppression. You expect that you're going to go take the fight to them, right? Like that's the, <laughs> that's the yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah and so like, but this guy for a very long time. Well, and not get. I mentioned this a little in our chat, I, and I don't necessarily want to get too deep into this, but I do think that that's why this story it really, you know, the the focus of this story 
that Andrew Lloyd Webber is telling is about all the different people that expect things of him. Judas expects things. Simon. I mean, that's why Simon's in it. It's not in the passion play, right? It, it's uh, the you know the lepers that want him to get healed expect things from him. the people in the town that he's walking through expect things of him. The Pharisees, the Romans, like it's about how everyone's expectations and he's essentially like a cipher. Like Jesus Christ, ultimate Mary Sue, um, he just has no bearing on anything. He has no. Well, we d- by the end Sorry. he's but no absolutely by the end he's literally yeah. being kind of like just dragged from scene to scene. He's not even yeah. a, an active participant in the film, you know? right? Yeah, and and even the Bible's like that too, right? Like his his whole like that's what you say and stuff like that is um you know is directly from he he doesn't fight his his uh his death or his his sentence or anything like that but the thing is is that in the bible like before all those moments where he's shutting up because his plan is to get killed um he talks a lot right most and in this one he doesn't he just and which again fits with what weber is trying to do but um i do think some of that is a you know a one of the things that I think is uh, the ultimate detriment from the way a lot of like the worst type of religious people view these stories is the way that this story is taught to Catholics, I really think, and I would assume other conservative Christians as well, is this idea of this story being told from the perspective of a bunch of like people who didn't know, who constantly thought they knew the will of God and knew what he was going to do. And he was going to do this. And they didn't know the whole plan. They didn't know the whole plan because the story wasn't finished. The problem with that is that they don't take from that. I think the lesson that is actually interesting, which would be, so stop assuming, you know, what the God that you believe in wants, and then dictating that to people in the way that all these people did to theoretically, you know, not theoretically, but to God's face, so to speak. Um, and instead, instead, what I think mainstream Christianity has taken from it is, well, now we do know the whole plan because the Gospels are over. So now we can feel superior. And when people doubt what we're doing, we have the, the we basically are empowered in the same way to feel like, well, we know the whole. Well, it's, it's the revealed word, you know? Exactly. So I that was that was a weird part watching this movie for the first time in probably like five or ten years where I'm like, oh, like that's not necessarily what Weber's going for. But like when you see it all stacked up with these people one after the other that are wanting things from Jesus and, and the way that that doesn't fit with Jesus's or quote unquote God's plan. Um, that is that is the point that was constantly emphasized uh, throughout this story growing up and through uh, Catholic like. Uh, catechism and stuff like that and so you see how the wrong lesson was clearly drawn for but that's that might be let's let's not go back to that uh let's talk about the, our favorite songs this this movie and the musical has great songs how about yeah we do that? let's do yeah. it yeah yeah so aaron you give us a homework assignment huh i did i i think it's fun to you know i think th- i mean the whole movie as peter pointed out his songs <laughs> um uh, so it's, we can't talk about them all individually, but I think ranking them either in order or just our five favorites. So if you, if you haven't ranked in order, I say we just go almost like we're doing a best of a best of episode and we go from five to one and just rotate through. Uh, and then we can, you know, if someone has something, it's just a good way to talk about stuff so that we don't talk about every fucking song. Um, Rick, why don't you start? Number five is, uh, the temple Jerusalem song. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's my number four. Yep. Catchy as hell. Love it. 
That's the one they use on the the Blu-ray menu too. Oh yeah, like the yeah, the little guitar riff. Oh, it's awesome! Uh, and I love when they call back to that later, right? Yeah. When they're like when he's getting crucified and they march him through with, uh, as opposed to the love being showered on him with like "Touch me, touch me, Jesus." It's it's everyone kind of mocking him into the same um, to the same uh, riff that was previously used for adoration. The, um, I think it was the fourth season of Transparent, um, which is set in Israel, uh, uses a lot of Jesus Christ Superstar music throughout the season as, like, uh, thematic motifs, and that song in particular is used in some very interesting ways. Yeah. Awesome. I love the idea of an unrelated medium just, just using a bunch of songs from a musical. I think it's partially, like... Because that show is so Jewy, like, there is something about, like, Jews having a lot of affection for Jesus Christ Superstar and, like, Jesus-y musicals that, you know, are kind of, like, this distanced way of engaging with, like, the mainstream culture. But, like, because musical theater is extremely Jewish... It feels like a safe way to dive in. Carrie, what's your number five or one of the five if you decide not to watch? Uh, King Herod song. I don't love the version in the film, but I like it in general. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's high on my list as well. And, um, it's, well, it's my number two. It used to be, like, my favorite. When I saw the, the actual Broadway show or touring show, I was like, this is amazing. Like, it is just so fun and lively. And um, we can talk a little. I think this is a good segue into just talking about the movie scene a little bit. The movie scene itself is, like I said, like the is one of my is, is a very fun dance sequence on a flo- Is it a flotella? Is that what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it was say, it's, <laughs> it's on a body of water. It's some sort of a fancy dock. I think it's the Sea of Galilee, right? Yeah, I wasn't sure either, but that would make sense. It is at least a body. A of lot water of water looks the same in Israel. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, my, mine was uh, "I Don't Know How to Love Him" is my number five, which is yeah. It is like a, a song that the first time I heard it in the soundtrack, it kind of like I was like, "Do we do we need this like Mary Magdalene love song?" And then I heard it again in the original cast recording, and I was like, "Yeah, we definitely need this here." And then I listened to a, another version of the the, the recording. Uh, and I was like, it, it, it finally clicked with me. I was like, how important it is to talk about the devotional aspects of of, yeah. uh, of his particular crew, um, because Jesus himself is is in this very much like a, a he's very wishy washy and he's pissed off all the time and people are dragging him all directions and he's ar- constantly arguing with Judas um, <laughs> and. Like, it's kind of amazing to have these songs that almost, like, nail the, like, Christ cult stuff there. (laughs) Um, Because it does have a weird Mansonian quality. Like, you can't be a guy in robes leading people in the desert, uh, a bunch of white people in the desert, um, without me thinking of Charles Manson. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I actually love the idea. (laughs) And how much better the Bible would be in general but instead of the apostles. He called them the crew. <laughs> <laughs> you guys know the crew, right? Yeah. I don't want Jesus to have long flowing hair and a beard. I want him to look exactly like Vin Diesel and I want him to talk like Vin Diesel. We're family. 
<laughs> the only no, like literally, <laughs> I'm the progenitor of all of you. Yeah, when Jesus calls Thomas his familia, it's the only instance of Spanish in the Bible. <laughs> you can turn my water into Corona. <laughs> my number five is Superstar, which is actually a song that I didn't. Um, I don't know. I like I didn't pay much mind to until more recently when I was listening to the album and stuff like that. Just because I feel like the the kind of chorus beats the it is it do you ever have songs that basically have been stuck in your head or like little snippets of song for like 25 years like at any moment it can pop into your head it's never gone i feel like the jesus christ yeah that part of the song has just stayed with me forever and it's just kind of always rumbling around there in the same way candidly like the what's the buzz line specifically has oh yeah you forget how good the rest of the song is like uh, not that I dislike that part, but there's so much more to the song than that one line, and so I sometimes would think of it as just like a, but like the it's so funky and gets so big and like the don't get me wrong stuff. It's so goddamn. and it's pretty yeah, easily I, I the best right number in the movie, right? I was yeah, gonna uh, say it's actually number one on my list, but not oh interest, but for this movie that was what I had in mind when I made the list. Oh yeah, because I think in it it kicks ass in this movie. Yeah, it's the best part. Y- yeah, yeah, and the 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 it's like a halftime show. Energy, the the '70s Coke energy of this really shines with that particular number. Yeah. And uh, as someone who was essentially coming to this for the first time, coming to it fresh, um, I was so struck by how powerful Judas is in the in the the movie that like the fact that he comes back after his suicide. Um, was shocking to me and the fact that he comes back after his suicide to have one last sort of sparring match with christ um is it was really powerful for me and so i had the the like the the sort of sing song ags is christ superstar yeah. like i it's been in my head right i've heard it other places yeah. also g for screen <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry um the you know it's 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 a it's a it's a rhythm that that's stuck in my head and and like the fact that Andrew Lloyd Webber takes it to other heights um and makes the song very complex and with lots of like yeah. breakdowns and like the guitar parts in it kick ass like and like a ca- like a cavalcade of like cacophony as it just keeps like crashing yeah. in on itself yeah, yeah it's awesome. like and it's not a peaceful song about uh, Jesus talking to a ghost before he himself dies. Like it, it's 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 this like one last human conflict that Jesus is solving before he's about to he's about to you know go up on the like it's it's a it's it's a it's just a really po- it's a really potent it's a really potent thing for someone who like when I was watching this for the first time I was like or when I was watching it I, I was effectively watching it for the first time and I saw this as a story between G- Judas and Jesus arguing yeah well I what's interesting about that I, I got that too and I, I doubt we'll get back to it you know Judas one of the first scenes in the movie is Judas basically being like what are you doing Jesus you, you've really messed this whole thing up and Jesus immediately, like, you know, scream singing at him to shut the fuck up and go away. And he runs out. And I, like, if, if you want to know where Weber's coming from, the story he's telling, the the, the rejoinder to that, the, the button on that is Jesus sitting in silence, uh, looking sad, about to march off to his death, while Judas is back to basically be like, yeah, I was right. Yes. Um, I mean, that's that's really what it is. Um, uh, yeah. But it's a, beyond that, it's a fucking kick-ass song. 
Yeah, yeah, I uh, was going to say, it's, it's, it's really nice uh, with such a solemn ending to have this, like, big energetic moment of, like, one last uh, um, sensory overload. Yeah. Rick, your number four. My number four would be Judas's Death. Mm. Oh, great song. Yeah. Uh, and that also, I, that also nails the, the, the sympathy for, for Judas yeah. aspect mm-hmm. really well. Absolutely, and it plus uh, it features the return of uh, I don't know how to love him as well, which yeah. again in the movie his delivery of that is one of the so best parts. Good. So so good, the voice cracking, yeah, oh, it's great, God, so goddamn good. I'll also, you know, one of my favorite uh, first uh, conversations with Peter ever is something that still stayed with in my head is when I was watching the Planet. I think before we had a podcast, but we were, I was watching the Planet of the Apes movies for the first time, and he was talking about wait till you get to the fourth one um and i said holy shit like they spoilers for the fourth planet of the eight movie they just fucking shoot a baby with a gun um and he's like yeah rated g for everyone and this movie which features a very very explicit neck snapping of g of judas as well as whipping at a bunch of other stuff is also g yeah. right oh yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of details in here that feel um like yeah rollerball level where they're like the, yeah. the small the small moments of anguish uh before an act of violence is committed um is really well captured in this and like the erratic cutting because it is a moment of just like pure um yeah. irrational grief mm-hmm. Carrie you're number 4 So I almost went with something else because um in the context of the movie, it feels very uncomfortable to put this on my list at all. But then I decided, what the fuck, I'll be honest. Um, I really like this Jesus Must Die. I it is yeah. it's as as a song, it's such a good song. The way it's done in the movie is heinous. But but yeah. I love the song, so Oh my god, in the movie it's just like they're tripping over words. It's way too fast. It's it's yeah, It's also I, I can movie. I can I talk a little bit about the scene in the movie at this yeah. part? Yes. So Yes. So this is it's not quite the introduction of the Pharisees, but it's like the, the, probably the the there we have a quickie introduction prior to this, but this is like the longer introduction. Um Yeah. And there Aaron mentioned the scaffolding earlier. Um the scaffolding I felt like was a very odd choice because it's basically just the Pharisees who are on it and it's giving them this like panopticon uh view of everything else that's happening. They're distanced from everybody else. Um I don't know if that's staging that happens in the stage productions, but it felt it oh, is. it's they 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 do climb on like uh, uh, it's not a scaffolding equivalent. I, that's I feel like that's I I have feelings about that choice, but um, you know, and, and the outfits that they're wearing kind of look like you know BDSM Hasidic gay porn. Um, yeah. There's like no other way to describe it. Whatever you're picturing is exactly what that looks like. Um, with like the most kind of like caricature-y, uh facial hair and hats and things like that. Um, the hats are like, what if they brought a bunch of hats to Norman Jewison and he was like, bigger? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bigger. It's 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 stereotypical and menacing in ways that I don't think it. I don't think it had to go. It's a menacing song, obviously, but like. 
I think that there is a way to do it without playing into certain visual signifiers that yeah. would make it land better. And when I'm listening to the song and not having, um, you know, a Gentile interpretation of what those visuals should look like, it's a much different experience. I, I I agree so much because like there's so many lines to these because they have some good songs like I love Blood Money and Damn for All Time it didn't make my list but like it's I like some of the harder songs that are like feel a little more more rocking and some of the lyrics to those songs too like when they're just on the album I think it just gets caught up in the music and stuff like that when you see like Nazi propaganda say lines like think of the things you could do with that money it feels much much like oh shit this is this the, the the combination of some of the dialogue and song lyrics combined with the imagery feels like I, I can see why there was a, a bigger outcry by the movie than like that. right and I and I think and I don't think that those visual choices are necessary for telling the story like even if you're telling this yeah. in the most traditional interpretation possible and these people have to be the villains you don't have to portray these like Shylock-esque uh, characterizations. Like there's there's another way of doing it. And I don't know. It's that that was the that was the first point in the movie where I was like I may I may have to like <laughs> distance myself from this a little bit because I love this musical so much, but what's happening here is like hitting some spots that is making it uncomf more uncomfortable to engage with than I might have thought. I, I agreed. Peter, what's your number four? Could we start again, please? No. Okay. I mean, number five, Rick, go. Number what? Huh? <laughs> Could we start that again? Uh, Very good. Yeah, sorry. So it's like you were saying the name of the song, but it was like you were talking to us. You know, we're, yeah. Um, sometimes on the show we do bits, and yeah. sometimes they're unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> um, your bits are on my list, Aaron. Um, <laughs> for a, se uh, for a second, I was like, "Wow, Aaron just hates this song and doesn't want to talk about it." Yeah, it, it was good. It was good, Aaron. I, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you full full. Uh, brownie points for that one um you get to get into heaven now um so could we start again please um could we start again please um <laughs> is very fun because it's a late sad song in the musical and i love that uh the musical is it's still just like an empathy machine at at times um and this is one of those songs that is just like um it, it makes me i like the balance like i'm going to talk about king herod's song in a little bit like that that landing yeah. when it does is just like it wakes you up it's like a cup of coffee um but uh yeah. could we start again please like it, it really helps even though we don't see much of the the, the musical chooses to use these songs to add empathy and add impact as opposed to showing you um, in painstaking detail every moment of the crucifixion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that song. Another line that just feels burned into my memory that I've had in my head for like 25 years that anytime I think about starting something over that that line plays in my head. Mm -hmm. Um my number four, which we already talked about, is The Temple. It's just a fantastic song. And also, um, you know, one one of the things that this movie – and uh, sorry, the album, I should say, the, the, the rock opera 
I really started liking the idea of like um, uh, themes and snippets that could reappear later in movies like the musicals I was watching prior to this or aware of are you know the the Lion King or some Disney stuff where like you can have a reprise of a song but it's not this idea of a song's um, music uh, musicality showing up in different uh, areas as callbacks and like I really liked the temple doesn't just stand out to me as like that song but like when I started hearing I think that's the first one on the album where you basically hear the song fully repurposed for a different song and I like my 10 year old mind uh Rick your number three uh King Herod and the only thing I'll add is that it's really funny when he says get out of my life yeah <laughs> <laughs> I actually like the I don't mind the version in the in the musical in the the film um here uh so like obviously the version is better performed on the original album and in other places but, so much better um I, it's such like a cutesy cabaret song that like and cabaret isn't really about like you know um like a high per- high level of performance like you're not necessarily trying to like crack people's champagne glasses with your high, high notes um that like just the energy and the way that scene is shot in the movie, I I, I like. But obviously, the, the album version is better. Yeah, I think the the disconnect for me is like it's it seems like it's too small. Actually, it seems yeah. like the the imagery oh, yeah. is is big enough, I guess. But the vocal performance is like very small. On the record, his like it just feels like really like bombastic, and this doesn't. It feels oh. like really like he's like it's in a whisper. I don't know. It's yes. very strange. But anyways, I I agree. Like in the when I the most before I actually watched the whole movie when I got the DVD or whatever I skipped to the King Herod song because I had such fond memories of that and like it is it is played in the musical the the how big it is on the album matches the production right it's like almost like a like the Prince Ali moment where they're just throwing out the the the, the decadence on display mm. in like and getting bigger and bigger and you know more and more people on screen and stuff like that and so yeah it does feel really like small and uh, plithy in the in the movie version which is why it's my biggest disappointment from um from like stage or music to screen even if again the problem is that even if as a as a dance as a sequence i really enjoy it uh, it's my number two. I'll skip it when I get there. Uh, <laughs> Carrie, you're number um, three. So I'm just going to uh, sort of spoil. Um, but my my top three are kind of like grouped in sequence because it's it's an, it's the individual songs, but it's particularly the these three songs right in a row. Um, and like that's that's <laughs> yeah. what I love so much about it. Um, so, uh, for my number three, it's I Don't Know How to Love Him, which we've talked quite a bit about, but it's a great song. There's a reason they kept some of the talent from the, uh, the original, other than just availability, obviously. Oh, yeah. She's, she's great. (laughs) She's so great. Um, my number three is Superstar, which I've talked a lot about, but I just love how it threads a needle. It's, 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 uh, that is like the last real scene of the, of the movie for me. Like that's, yeah. that's it's bringing it all together. Uh, my number three is Simon Zealot. Yeah. Uh, I love, I got such a good song. I, I think you'll hear a theme. Like I really love, you know, can we start again? Or I don't know how to love him, but I, I really do like the, the more rocking songs. I just, I I feel like the the type of music on this album, like I mean, 
I, I know it sounds like a little bit quaint and silly, but like, yeah, what was your first rock album? What When was your first idea of like the idea that you could hear a song that was like as catchy as anything that you'd hear on the radio and the type of music that you wanted to listen more of while also like serving a bigger story purpose and like, you know, getting into this, seeing the, the musical and then hearing the album when I was nine, 10, like I just gravitated more towards the ones that I wanted to like belt out in my room as opposed to uh, were more introspective. So even though I have a lot of love for the songs, uh, all the songs essentially, for the most part, um, the stuff that really has stayed with me is the stuff of like when I hear a certain guitar riff, how excited I feel. And, and Simon Zealots definitely fits that. You're number two. Rick. Yeah, I, the, um, this is kind of cheating by putting them together, but the one-two punch of uh, Heaven on Their Minds and What's the Buzz. Yeah. Yeah. It's such I a mean, good opening. That's, for me, yeah. For uh, what you just said, Aaron, about the riff sticking in your head, the bass line and that opening guitar riff in uh, Heaven on Their Minds are just like, that's that's top top shelf for me. Yeah. Uh, could not agree more. Carrie, your number two. Uh, Damn for All Time, Blood Money, um, which, again, slightly uncomfortable to actually be putting this on my list, but it's a, such a good song. It's um, getting inside Judas's head like that and getting inside those those negotiations. It's, it's a great scene. Um, again, I don't love how it's done in the movie, but it's a, it, but it's a great song and a great yeah. scene, and um i think probably like rock wise my favorite song in the show um yeah i i couldn't i couldn't agree more i also am realizing i know we're almost done with this exercise but uh none of us have named a song sung by jesus which maybe explains <laughs> why ted neely is so <laughs> like maybe it's not all ted neely's fault if all the songs we're remembering are specifically not sung by <laughs> Uh, this famous Jesus character, and, and um, and uh, I was gonna say is uh, Carrie pointed out and uh, separately that Gethsemane, the quality of Gethsemane is um, is something that like uh, I think Carrie, you said you prefer the film version of that over. It's not the a Broadway production. it's not a song that's ever especially landed for me, which probably has something to do with like not having a huge connection to Jesus and the story. Um, cause that's like the most personal Jesus moment in the whole show. Um, but Ted Neely's version and actually like seeing him perform it, uh, actually really landed for me. And it made me, I'm, I'm shocked that Norman Jewison and Andrew Lee Weber were able to resist the temptation. I'm using that ter- that word specifically, um, of having a disco devil uh character pop up just for garden of gethsemane to try and tempt jesus <laughs> and then have like a, tr- a like a a duet between jesus and mary magdalene's like image his like internal image of mary magdalene like i'm shocked that they were able to resist the call to not to not put like a devil in there peter just wants the apple i just want it i want the <laughs> apple i want the, the bim is the way baby um, yeah. But, yeah. Since, but since that song came up and I'm not sure it's going to come up again, I'm just going to quickly also say that in that sequence, there is a montage of uh, paintings of crucifixions, um, oh. which when it started, I was like, "Ooh, this is kind of cool. Um, and it's basically showing like 
how how the crucifixion has been portrayed in art throughout time and the the people watching and crying and Jesus on the cross and all of a sudden two very quick shots of very large noses and I yeah. was just and it goes by so fast that I was like is that what it what I was that that and I looked it, it sure up is. later I was like oh shit they went there and that's another moment where I'm like I don't I think that this was just fully unnecessary there is no reason that that yeah. had to be here to further the story well, in any way <laughs> Yeah, well, and the other thing we didn't mention, we did talk about a lot in chat, is, like, before the... Uh, sometimes, you know, as they cut between, like, scenes in different locations in this movie, they show, like, soldiers marching or a, or a landscape. Before they show the Pharisees for the first time, it's a flock of circling vultures. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a choice. That's yeah, it's a propulsive, strong moment. Like, And I also like in movies when they choose to just do, like, aggressive... Uh, you know, uh, classic yeah. art montage. Like, I've there's a, there's a lot of movies that that use that technique, um, good and bad. But uh, I remember catching a little details in there and being like, "Wait a minute, Come what was on. that?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number two was King Herod's song. Uh, I think this song that if you heard the album and you didn't care for it, you probably would at least be humming that one at the end. Uh, <laughs> Rick, what's your number one? Uh, Superstar, as I said. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, good song. Uh, it's great. <laughs> In my top five. <laughs> I'd say it's one of the top five. Yeah, easily. Uh Carrie. The Last Supper. One. one of the one of the moments from this story that I actually had like any context for because it's so well known. Um and yeah. seeing the argument play out, I feel like is really effective. And like the 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 hook that the apostles sing, I love, um, and is probably the part of the show that gets stuck in my head the most. Um, but yeah, that I think is my number one, and it's and particularly it's the sequence of those three right in a row on the album. I love. Yeah, I mean that's so much of that is really good. I love the whole uh, trials and tribulation part leading to. Um, it's a good sequence, but it does, uh, especially in the movie, it does feel like the a little bit of uh, the the come down from like the big opening to the where we're gonna go for the ending. So it, it, it I, I find that a very interesting choice because it's it's never really resonated with me as strong as the rest of it. But it's also I always uh, thought it's perplexing that he's like the Eucharist is like for all you care, this could be my blood, and for all you care, oh, this yeah. could be my body. It's just so at odds with. Uh, well, it's, it's not perplexing. It was purposeful, and people were fucking pissed about it. That was a part <laughs> I did not mention uh, because it was, it was it was his way of take. You know, again, Weber didn't believe in the divinity, so he didn't want that part to be as explicitly just saying. You know, it, we didn't we didn't mention this either. But Jesus doesn't perform miracles. People ask him for healing. He feels overwhelmed by it and stuff like that. It, this this is a movie about about not about the divinity of jesus and let, that was like a weird i think way for him to say it as a way of, in anger knowing he's about to be betrayed and reflecting the humanity but oh yeah no christian groups fucking hated that oh, <laughs> stance to reason that makes sense yeah because yeah, it was it was again it was dismissing it as like this is the most important part of our religion 
<laughs> fuck you to people that are about to be. Peter, what's your number one? Um, really quickly, we skipped me for number two. Um, the uh, Hosanna song. Yeah. Is, yeah. is it's it's interesting because it starts off and you're just like it, it's very much pulling on um you, you know what you would expect from a, a sort of churchy song um yeah. it's like a very choir choir focus song but it actually builds into this sort of um a rancorous like uh energy until it eventually yeah. is i think one of the line is uh uh will you die for us um, yeah and like they freeze frame they freeze frame <laughs> it's like freeze the jay giles so band. funny freeze frame it's so corny but like, it's like he just realized oh no shit, that's what dad was saying no. ever since i can remember i always wanted to be messiah <laughs> um but yeah it it, it has a very uh a a very fun quality also for me in my head canon where i was like this is somebody combined with the hippie vision like this is somebody who viewed this as like a sort of cult like a religious a religious movement that could only be described as a cult that uh you know uh prevailing um religious religious uh authorities stepped on um that's you know not my perspective that's what you know that's how i view andrew lloyd Webber's perspective and hosanna has this this awesome quality of this like cult all dancing and waving the 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 palms in in a in a sort of crowd fashion and the song picks up in a sort of like um uh swirling dervish fashion like once you've got the repetition down let's do it again do it again faster do it again faster until they're they've actually just asked for blood yeah Mm -hmm. yeah great song what's your number one my number one is king herod's song which i've I've talked a lot about but uh yeah it's it's just like amazing like what a what a fucking brave move that at like the end of this like you're approaching the solemn end of of christ's life and then all of a sudden they uh, he's like i'm gonna do a cabaret song (laughs) (laughs) yeah It's it's, yeah, no it's, it's very it's very but... cute. It also shows you how like uh you know authority figures like how easy it is to mock the the faithful. Um, but we did also talk in the in a chat before this how like so Jesus couldn't have like whipped out like a snake something gonna yeah. gonna thrown down some magic. You know he couldn't have done the 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 wine to, to water trick again. You know, just throwing something out and having be like, well, we still have to kill you. Sorry, <laughs> rules are also rules. that flotella. I mean, in the movie, the flotella is two feet away from the shore, so it feels like he could have walked on water and not even done a miracle. (laughs) Right? Like, he could have just walked and maybe, like, sold it a little bit that he was trying to balance. Yeah, a little razzle-dazzle. I get it. He doesn't want to dignify it with the response. This guy's making fun of him, but, like... Tuzzle, get a little razzle dazzle. You're you're about to be crucified. You know you're about to be crucified. Get a little razzle-dazzle out. I also just think, in general, it's fair that if someone has made their name performing miracles... That you asked to see one. Absolutely. Yeah. That would be, yeah, it would be very awkward of me to ask you the thing that you're, uh, you literally have 50,000 followers for. Hey, David Blaine, do a card trick. Fuck you. you have to have I would rather die. I'd rather die than tell you what your card is on demand. I am an artist. You're the, I need to you be know, inspired by the magic. <laughs> yeah, that's what you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can we do a David remake Blaine. of this where it's just David Blaine and there's no other changes? David. 
moderately successful magician. Uh, yeah, my number one is, and I, it's it's also it's my number one in the movie. It's just my number one song, period. But it's it's heaven on it. Yeah. Like I don't know if there's much like the opening of this movie. Even though the the overture is really like it has a lot of the guitar licks from the movie, and those are good. Um, it's such a goofy fucking opening that I think it can be hard to come back from that. And the point where Judas is screaming at the top of his lungs, you know, Jesus in this like frustrated way. It just and the same thing goes for the album too. It just is like, oh, maybe this will be a little less goofy than I was expecting, and that's true every time. Like Judas is on screen in the movie, and it's it's it he the it's not just about the songs being so good. Um, this because the songs are so well written that like again the album version is fucking amazing as well. Um, but it, it is just like. The guitar riff that opens it up is as good as any – if I just put on any album and heard that, I'd be like, oh, wait, what's this? This, You know, it. it, it I, I don't want to get too uh, hyperbolic, but like, um, you know, it does feel a little bit like when I'm like, let's hear what all these pixies are about. And then I heard the opening riff to Debaser for the first time and I'm like, oh, wait, is this is this amazing? Do I love this for the rest of my life? And and. That's what hearing like Kevin on on their minds in the um, when I saw it when I was nine, when I got the cassette tape and listened to it. And even when I was like, oh, yeah, let's watch this stupid movie that everyone no one likes and critics don't really like when I bought it in college. And then immediately when that started, I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, no, I love this, (laughs) you know, and like it it, it would easily be in my, you know, top 50 songs of all time. And it um, I also think it's the one of the few songs in the album that really just um, resonates in like it's it's hard to make a. A, a, a historical musical that, that really has a lot of like things to say about the way that it's easy to feel about the present day uh, you know I love Hamilton quite a bit but I think the ways that it does that uh, attempts to do that is, are the, some of the more eye rolling parts of that musical um, in, in spots but this song specifically feels universal and can be applied to anything um, about like losing sight of the the important things while um while uh you know bad things go on around you so uh yeah i fucking love it my number one best song ever yeah it's great i wanted to be uh, an actor when i was like in elementary school and uh was in a lot of plays and up up through high school and then did did more like i did some film stuff and um in college like actually writing and making stuff on like eight millimeter and stuff like that for a few college classes but so i i auditioned for my first play seven brides for seven brothers a different problematic play at times um (laughs) yeah uh that was being performed at our summer theater in Bismarck, north dakota and i had i have no musical ability uh whatsoever um uh and i went to audition for it in the seventh grade and they're like, you know, I was never in choir or anything. So, like, they're like, all right, and where's your prepared song? Like, I was supposed to give sheet music to the piano person to sing my song and then run a scene that they had given us. And, like, obviously, I did not bring anything because I didn't know that that's what I was supposed to do. Um, so, uh, what I sang was the uh, pilot song. <laughs> 
because I felt like that might be theatrical enough that I could sell it a little bit. Like, who is this? Bro-? Like, that's the best <laughs> Um, and the piano person, I still, her face is seared into my head. She just looked and kind of had a smile because she was probably being nice <laughs> and polite and, and like, but she didn't have, she didn't have to play piano because I didn't give her music. <laughs> <laughs> let's do, let's do some final thoughts. I, I feel like, um, I, I just, I, I hit so many of it. Like this is a, this is a movie that I like for other reasons and that it has music featured <laughs> that is featured in something else that I love quite a bit. And it is. The only thing I'll just say about how good this is that even when I was most uh, my most annoying in my transition from devout Catholic to atheism to uh, hopefully a little bit more of a chill vibe about religion in general while recognizing that some people use it for some not so great things. um, At no point did I ever throw Jesus Christ Superstar under the bus. I was like, well, this still rules. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't care. Even though I don't like the concept of Jesus or Christianity, and I think this, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar is good. Like, yeah, you're not going to throw uh, Jesus Christ out of bed. No, I would not. Or out of the bus in the desert. Or out of the bus. I wouldn't leave him on a cross. <laughs> Just drive away. Desert. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, I, I guess well, that, that probably is my biggest, uh, biggest thing I can say about how much this has endured for me, that even when I was at my most anti-Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar was always an exception. The music, I mean, what it comes down to for me is, you know, all the songs that are kind of ingrained in my brain, uh, like you were saying, and, you know, even the the subpar versions of them uh, can't undermine it because they're just, uh, just a lot of fun. And yeah. I guess the, the artifice aspect um, of the film is still really interesting because it's, uh, it's about stories. It's about uh, storytelling in a lot of ways. So the fact that they make it so much about the production of a passion play, the production of um, the creation of a story uh, is, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing that kind of uh, doesn't elevate the material. It gives it like a, a little bit more resonance in some ways. Um, and yeah, I like that aspect of it a lot. Yeah. Um, and my, my kind of final thoughts here is that um, when I was going into this, I was uh, very apprehensive just because, you know, for uh, <laughs> reasons I think uh, Aaron enumerated earlier. Um, <laughs> but uh, by the time I got to the end, I was actually very, very surprised that uh, the with the, the sort of restraint that it treated a lot of the way that it treated its characters as it came to the end. And the fact that it gave all these characters sort of room to breathe and, and, and space space to exist, even characters that were already dead. Um, like that's, that's pretty cool. Um, but the, um, the biggest thing that like sunk in with me uh, was that it avoided both depicting the crucifixion and I like graphic detail. It didn't like dwell on that. Um, and it, it, it but it, it really like dwelled more on the, the like internal strife of, of Christ. Just like I, I, I feel like I was born as a human being and I, I feel like I'm wrestling against the, my humanity. Like my humanity is not enough to do what I want to do. And like that's uh, that's like if 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 uh the story of Christ had been explained to me in that manner when I was younger, um, you know, it might have. I might have affected my my faith, my sort of faith path um, a, a bit more. And it's funny that Andrew Lloyd Webber, who's someone who just like did t- specifically like tiptoes around the idea of whether or not Christ was even resurrected, made a better argument um, for for uh, Christ as a as a figure um, than um, years 
of inept uh, Catholic school teachers. So, <laughs> um, I think my ultimate takeaway now that I've watched the movie is that this musical is probably my ultimate problematic fave where mm-hmm. it's it, it will always have a very special place in my heart and I, I when i listen to the music on its own there are ways in which i can listen to it within a with within a context that uh that makes sense to me, that works for me, that lets me engage with the music as it is outside of, like, the larger cultural narrative. And that became a lot harder once I was actually watching this. Um, And I'm glad I watched it. I actually liked it quite a bit. But I think it would be hard to revisit frequently, um, because the the longer I watched it, the more I realized, like, oh yeah, this is not for me. This is this is something <laughs> that is very much not wanting to bring me into the story and is trying to alienate me. And I mean, I I I understand why that is, and at the same time, I'm hopeful that there could be a version of this same musical that doesn't do that um because i really do think that there is a way to interpret the exact same text in a way that isn't quite as uh harmful in um uh reaffirming stereotypes that have caused a great deal of harm for um centuries could not agree more carrie rick thank you so much for coming yeah, thank on. You guys. A, thank a you. Thank you. This was so much fun. Absolutely. It was a blast. This was great. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We have to figure out a sequel to get the, the crew back yeah. together. Um, slash apostles. The apo- are we, um, yeah, we're the apostles now. Peter, if we were making a movie, would be most most typecast as Jesus, I feel like. Or Wreck. No, who gets more typecast as Jesus? I have a beard. You do have a beard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Much like the historical Jesus, Peter's blonde. <laughs> <laughs> the classic Jesus, blonde hair. Blue I said typecast. I didn't mean historically accurate. Um, uh, yeah, what? Do you, but we'll definitely figure this out because I know you guys will be back uh, on our show soon. But uh, a double episode with you two was a blast. So I hope you guys both. Uh, come back together as well uh also if you have a chance to form uh friendships with both of these people i'd highly recommend it uh very rewarding <laughs> oh i have to plug that <laughs> um, yeah i mean it's tough like it doesn't happen overnight but if you're willing to do the work it's yeah. definitely worth it practice self-care um, um by yeah. demanding uh rick and carrie listen to your inane bullshit um <laughs> For years on end. Oh man, I feel pressure from all sides, like a regular Ted Neely. <laughs> feeling persecuted by like yes. <laughs> everyone wants a piece of me. <laughs> right now, if we were at his house, it would freeze frame on Rick. <laughs> oh no! Oh, uh, uh, yeah. So next month, it's Peter. Do we have a name for next month? Big time on the small screen. Big 
big trouble on small screens is that something sure little screens? sure i don't know we're, we're doing uh 90s uh tv adaptations we won't go through the guest list although i think we have guests for every single episode but the movies we're doing is we're doing a couple of double episodes as well so we're doing uh starting the month next week with uh adam's family and adam's family values followed it up with the flintstones uh following that up with the beverly hillbillies remake which uh, I'll say the guest. I think that's specifically just for Peter to get uh, uh, Marcus on the fucking show to talk about goddamn <laughs> Um Jim Varney is a saint. Jim Varney's in the movie. <laughs> Not looking forward to it. I might be absent. But we're doing that. And then we're ending it with uh, the Brady Bunch and a very Brady sequel. So that's going to be a ton of fun. And I could say it's already fun. It, it has been fun. Four out of the six movies are really good. <laughs> yeah, minimum uh, four out of six. Four out of six. Two of the four episodes, but four out of the six movies are great. Uh, so with that, we'll wish you uh, a happy resurrection. Yeah. And and uh, peace be upon you. The day. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs) 